This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast on AllComic.com, episode 171. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Laura Mayasha, and today we are closing off a summer full of news with another news roundup episode. And boy, howdy, there's so much news. So much so, we're recording this earlier than we usually do, and we still have more news than usual, and it might take us as long as it ever has been to cover news on the show, because just oh, so much no. has happened. <laughs> That's what I that's what I love to hear. No, but we we do have a lot of I, I'm gonna say cool stuff to talk about, or at least a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Um, I will be upfront and say that uh, we originally wanted to talk about basically all the simul pubs and one shots that have come out since our last simul pubs and one shots episode. Um, but I don't think we're gonna have the time to do that for this episode. And admittedly, we don't know when we're going to get to those, but we are going to get to everything eventually. We just uh, we just need to figure that out. But there is a lot of cool stuff to talk about, and I promise we'll get to it eventually. But for now, I think we're just going to stick uh, stick to the news. Yep, there's a lot. There's a lot of serialization news, a lot of licensing stuff. There's the big industry report from Beat that's going to be at the center of this podcast. It's going to be a, a very long analysis to talk about, but then there's so much more big industry stuff and other tidbit news and announcements uh, beyond that. There's a lot to talk about, so we should probably just dig in, as we usually do, starting off the show with lists. Yeah, and uh, I'll go ahead and start us off with the New York Times graphic books and manga list for the month of August. And uh, just kind of starting from the bottom here in terms of all the manga that's on the list. At number 14, we have Attack on Titan, Volume 1. Attack on Titan is always a mainstay on uh, both this and the book scan list usually. Uh, And then all the way up at number 8, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 28. A little lower than it was on the last list. Whereas on the last list it was uh it was at number two, um, but again still in the top ten, so I'd, I'd still say that's a pretty good placement. And the only other manga on this list, all the way up at number two, is Chainsaw Man Volume One. And yeah, I mean we can't we can't even say it enough. Chainsaw Man is like really knocking it out of the park. Yeah, really cutting down the competition. I I think at this point, Volume 1 in particular is out of print right now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of other manga is kind of out of print until basically they could find, this, uh, find the space to print all of it. But like, oh, man, it's, it's really crazy to see not just how Chainsaw Man's doing, but just how manga's doing in general. And I guess, uh, uh, I mean, unless you have anything to say about the New York Times list, I guess we can go into the book scan list. Well, I think it's just indicative of the recent trends we've been seeing in terms of what titles are popular and what ranks. But again, Chainsaw Man doing extraordinarily well on this list. So, you know, even without an anime, it has so much momentum. I can't imagine how much it'll continue to explode once that anime comes out. Even more people are aware of it because it's already like a huge bestseller. Oh, for sure. Um. I guess one thing I'll put out there about this month's New York Times list is that there's like slightly less manga on this list. Um, I think on the last list there was like five manga. T- it, it felt like there was more titles on the list. Um, so there's a little less, but like, again, it can't be understated how well manga's doing. But uh, again, I guess we could just go into the book scan list where this is the first time in, I want to say three three or four months, 
I don't remember off the top of my head, but the, this is the first time in a few months where not everything on the list is manga. Um, yeah. I think only like two or three titles, if you want to count, soul leveling is not anime or manga, but it could go either way. Um, but, but basically, yeah, not everything in the list is manga because it just so happens that uh, the Adventure Zone came out with a new release and obviously the McElroy brothers being as popular as they are and people love the Adventure Zone. So obviously that's going to sell very well. Um, it's one of the few things right now that can really like actually compete with manga, you know. But uh, let's just start at the top of this list here with, uh, once again, Chainsaw Man Volume 1. What what else is there to say? It's 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 like dominating the competition as far as like how high it's placed on this list. And uh, I believe that is the only volume of Chainsaw Man on this list. Uh, again, I'm sure if it weren't for the fact that like I think more than one volume of Chainsaw Man needs to be re- reprinted at the moment and is out of stock. If it weren't for that, I can see I can see there being a point in the future where as soon as those volumes are back in print, I think we're going to start seeing like the My Hero Academia effect where it's going to take up at least like a couple portions of of the book scan list. I could see that happening. I wouldn't be surprised. It is interesting that this list features a lot of volume ones of even series that we haven't seen in a while too. So it's, it's quite an interesting collection for the titles this month. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But for now, as far as number three on the list goes, we have, again, My Hero Academia, volume 28 on the book scan list, along with volume 27, ranking at number nine, and uh, volume 10 of Vigilantes in particular, ranking at number 14, with volume two of the original series, ranking at number 18. So if you count Vigilantes, that's like four volumes of My Hero Academia, I'd say that's a pretty normal amount of My Hero Academia volumes on this list, so not too Mm -hmm. much of a surprise there. Um, But next up, we have another big seller at the moment with Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 1, along with uh, Volume 6, ranking at number 17. And I think that's about it. Or did I miss one? No, there are only two volumes, but yeah, JJK also very strong seller. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised there's not more Jujutsu Kaisen on this list, but I mean, again, it's it still does very well, though, regardless. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a wider collection of series on the list this month, and not as many series with like multiple placements. MHA has the most, and then JJK has two, but that's a pretty... I mean, Attack of Titan has two, too, but not a whole lot else have doubles. It's... A lot of different titles this month. It's pretty interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say a lot more varied than usual. Um, again, we, we could probably still better, still do better in terms of like not having seventy percent of this list be Viz Media. But yeah, yeah, it's still pretty much all Viz Media except for Titan and Kanako. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, next up on the list, uh, we actually have two Junji Ito titles on this list, which is not something I, I don't think we normally see, usually. We have Uzumaki, the 3-in-1 Deluxe Edition, at number 6, along with the Tomie Complete Hardcover Deluxe Edition at number 13. So, again, with as popular as Junji Ito is, yeah, I don't think we've ever seen two of his titles placed on this list at the same time, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, or at least it has been a while, but love seeing some Tomie, love. That's a great title. Like, seeing Ito continue to attract new readers and sell a lot of copies. Next up, uh, like you mentioned, we have Attack on Titan Volume 1, 
ranking at number seven, along with volume two ranking at number 15. Um, volume one, we are so used to seeing on these lists. Vo- and vo- volume two is where I'm kind of like, huh, we don't normally see you on this list very often. Uh, so I found that interesting. Uh, next up, we have Soul Leveling, Volume 2. Again, I, I, I think this counts, you know, like, we mm-hmm. can count it, it's fine. Um, uh, Soul Leveling, again, uh, v- very popular title. I'm assuming it's going to become probably one of Yen Press's more popular titles. I, I can, if, if it's already doing this well on the list, I, I can see it doing even better probably in the future. But um, yeah, I guess now we're kind of getting into like, uh, at least most of the Volume 1s here. Uh, again, with Death Note, the Black Edition Volume 1 at number 10. Again, it's it's really interesting to see, like, how consistent Death Note has been, like, ranking recently. Again, considering it is an older title. But I guess you could say that about some of the other titles on the list that we'll get to here. Again, continuing with the Volume 1s, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun Volume 1 at number 11. I'm very happy that Yen Press has at least two really popular titles on this list. Uh, again, yeah. that's not... That's not something that we see happen very often, but so that's very cool. Very nice to see Hanako continue to be one of the bigger titles on the market, a real bestseller for Yen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a reason they're bringing out that like volume zero type of thing. I forget exactly what it's called. Yeah, but there's it's- a volume zero that's going to come out. But yeah, Hanako-kun doing very, very well as a franchise for Yen. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing on with the volume ones, we have Hunter Hunter volume one at number 12. Really cool to see people getting into Hunter Hunter. I genuinely believe that, like, honestly, despite all the hiatuses that Hunter Hunter goes through, like, I think it's still easily, like, one of the most beloved manga out there. And, like, you know, just, just, just imagine if it didn't take as many hiatuses as it does. I mean... Obviously, we want Togashi to rest as much as he can, and we care about his health. But I, I can just imagine, like, if Hunter Hunter wasn't held back by that, I genuinely think it could be, like, even more popular than it already is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, let's see. Next up, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, Volume 22, ranking at number 16. Um, not surprised that Demon Slayer's on this list, but uh, I'm genuinely curious as t- uh, to-, to see, like, how high up because uh, obviously this is like the second to last volume of Demon Slayer, and the last volume is out at the time of this recording. I'm really interested in seeing like how high that last volume is going to be on this list eventually. Yeah, I do wonder. Like, I'd imagine it'd uh, be pretty high, but we will see. Mm-hmm. And then, as for the last two things on the list, uh, we have One Punch Man Volume 1, ranking on the list at number 19, along with Naruto Volume 1, ranking at number 20. So... One Punch Man is no stranger to this list. It, I don't think it lists as consistently, but it's still on there, like, I would say every once in a while at least. So that's not too, too much of a surprise. But Naruto Volume 1, I mean, obviously Naruto is a very popular series and people still love it, you know? It was one of the few series to survive, you know, the the dreaded bubble bursting that happened all, all those years ago. But, like, man, it's, it, it is kind of cool to see Naruto rank on this list at all, though. I mean, it's... It's just it's just funny to me to think about like new people getting into Naruto. It's just it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, Naruto, One Punch Man are perennial favorites. There's always people discovering and getting into them, and yeah, it's interesting to see that in last month's list, like Naruto in particular, was seeing like a resurgence of some real interest. So that is uh, pretty interesting to see. Pretty cool to see. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think overall, as far as the book scan lists go, um, right now, the thing I'm kind of the most interested in is like how many different volume ones we're going to see from month to month. Like, it feels like every month there's always like the volume one of a title that like you don't normally think about as often as compared to like what's on the book scan list, you know, like I think this is like the second time Hunter Hunter volume one's been on this list. So it'll be interesting to see like how often that comes back. And then like, I think this is the first time Naruto volume one in particular has probably been on the list in like quite a while, probably. So it's just really interesting to see stuff like that. And like, you know, I know Haikyuu volume one's also been on this list a few times. Like, it's just, it's just interesting to see like the different titles that like people will gravitate towards when like, you know, assumedly because like reprintings of like maybe their favorite current series just aren't in stock and maybe like they're looking for stuff they haven't read before you know Mm -hmm. at least that's kind of my theory as to like what's going on here but in general you know it's just nice to see that like i'm going to assume a lot of new people are getting into manga still and like again they are just like constantly searching for like you know different titles that like maybe they haven't read before and we're going to see, like, an influx of, like, different series uh, volume ones being picked up by new people. And I, j- I just think that's really interesting. But I guess unless you have any other thoughts on the book scan list, we can move on to some serialization news. Very interesting list. Very nice to see kind of a, a more varied selection of titles, even though they're still mostly shonen stuff from Viz. But still interesting to see a little more variety this time interesting to see what the august list or what the next list is going to bring for sure oh yeah for sure and yes now we'll get into like a lot of serialization news and starting off with the last series i really really like ending and unfortunately we're starting off with the one that had the most abrupt ending and an ending before its natural conclusion, truthfully. And that is Kira at those Worlds in Era and Britannia Lumiere that published its final chapter on uh, Manga Plus and Jump Plus just earlier this month. And it was very sad to see it end in the way it did. Like, the reason it ended is because of the author's health problems. Like, the series went on a long hiatus, about a six-month hiatus because of her, her health problems, and I guess they decided to end it the way it, it has, just because, you know, I guess her health is still not better yet to continue the series, and they don't know when she will be back and ready to continue doing manga on a regular basis. So it's very sad because it was such a good series. And the later chapters were going in like a, you know, there was some heavy content in the direction it was going, but I think it could have explored that really interestingly. Like I was really interested to see what they were going to do with the CEO woman who was one of the candidates for the goddess and her machinations and manipulating people. Like she was seemed to be set up for like being one of the bigger bads in the series. And I was interested to see what they could do with her. I really like kind of the, even though it was obviously truncated and probably rushed from how it probably would have gone otherwise. I did like what they were doing with Mieri, like Ares rivals, like from her old world and like how, she has kind of like a change of our heel turn and it helps her like escape at the end of the story from like the pursuers of the, f- the first prince and the pursuers after her and Richard. So 
I'll talk to what he was doing there. The series, of course, doesn't end with any real conclusion or anything. It's very much our adventures will continue type of ending. And that was very sad to see. Because there was definitely a lot of potential in this world. Like I had mentioned before when we originally had been talking about this. It's such a really nice kind of throwback to 90s style shoujo isekai kind of stories. And it was doing some really good things with interesting characters. And I really was interested to see how they would explore but alas, you know, premature ending. I just hope that Eto, you know, can recover in their health and, you know, just get back to a point of health that they can continue doing like manga again. Just, you know, being good health in general. And though I'm sad in this, that the series has ended prematurely, you know, I just wish for her health to recover. I think that's the first and foremost priority. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm I'm pretty sad this ended too. I mean, I don't remember how close I was to like the hiatus or whatever, so I I forget if I like caught up or not. But like at least around the point I caught up on reading the series, like you know, I, I really liked it, but like it also kind of felt like I feel like I remember like around the point I caught up anyway. Like it kind of felt like things were like just about to get started. Like it really feels like this series wanted to do way more than it unfortunately. Uh, couldn't set out to do like I'm 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 really sad this had to end the way it did. Yeah, a lot of characters, a lot of ideas set up that were left unexplored. Very much a shame. But again, hope the best for the actor's health and that you know she can return working to another series. Like if the, she returns for another series, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Definitely keen to read it. Now another manga that I really love, another series I really love that's ending is New Game that just ended after an eight-year run, about fourteen volumes, and yeah, like I'm from New Game at least came to like a natural ending from what I know, and I'm definitely curious and interested to pick up the last couple of volumes uh, from the point past where the anime stopped and read like how the story ends because i really resonate and love this series when i watched the show back a few years ago like the experiences of the workplace environment like definitely hit with me at the time as someone who was working in a similar workplace not necessarily in games but still like in a creative area and collaborating with people and like there are a lot of the struggles that alba went through a lot of the experiences that resonate with me so i really really connected with the series and so you know I'm looking forward to reading the ending, and I think it had a pretty good run. And, you know, uh, this is a series translated by a good friend of the show, Jane McKean, so I also am curious to see. I know she really loved the series, so I'm also curious to check out, like, their work on the final volumes, too. But yeah, great series. Uh, Looking forward to reading the ending when the final volumes have released the print over here. Another series I'm looking forward to reading how it ends is Inuasana's Dead to Demons, Dead to Destruction. Now, that doesn't have, like, a concrete ending date just yet, but Asano did mention on Twitter recently that he is prepping the manga to its climax. So, yeah, I am interested in seeing how this series ends. This was one that I started reading way back when it was first starting and getting, like, scam lead and stuff, and I fell off on it a bit over the years, but, like, it was such an interesting series exploring how people kind of just go on living with the threat of apocalypse literally like looming over them in the form of the alien spaceship and then just kind of dealing with those at times of absurdities and Asano has like a great kind of dark sense and examination of like how human beings react to like dark situations or like these 
really awful circumstances and how they cope or get through them in interesting ways. And I, I think the series is doing a really great job of that through, through the lens of these uh, characters. Like, basically, these high schoolers who have to, like, deal with, again, like, the fact that they're, the wor- their world could literally end, like, at any moment with this issue going over, but they still have to go on with their daily lives. So, yeah, uh, this is a series I'm really looking forward to seeing how it ends and catching up on it when the final volumes come out of here. But, yeah, very much looking forward to both the ends of New Game and Dead of Demons. Now we'll be talking about stuff that, uh, well, we'll talk about a series that has been on hiatus for a while, but also for health-related reasons, much like Worlds and Heron, Botanic Lumiere. And Ray Heroi recently kind of just opened up about kind of uh, on Twitter, like about his depression and then like how that has affected Black Lagoon's release schedule and its hiatuses. And, this, you know, there is a quote that he had that has been you know, translated here as, it's simply because my depression is not improved that I can't apply myself to a large amount of work. And, you know, that's very disheartening to see. And I think, you know, our hearts definitely go out to Heroi to just, you know, take care of his mental health, take care of his own health. And I think we can all deal with hiatuses for the series. You know, I think we want Heroi to be healthy first and foremost. And, you know... There's still new Black Lagoon content that comes out every so often. And in fact, I believe the next one, Black Lagoon, has just come out. And it's going to be coming out in English even, uh, probably soonish. So yeah, you know, there's still... Black Lagoon is still being worked on. And I don't think we can disparage Troy for, you know, taking breaks for the sake of his own health. I think that's an important thing and uh, a necessary thing. No, yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, it's funny because, like, I just rewatched all of Black Lagoon pretty recently, and watching all of it again recently really has shown me, like, oh, yeah, Black Lagoon is, like, so much better than, like, I remember it being. It's it's just so good. And, you know, like, as as sad as I am that, like, because clearly, like, Hiroe is, like, really building up to something really cool, and I can only imagine, like, what like the ending of black lagoon is going to be like and how the series will wrap up eventually hopefully but like as much as i would love to get to the end game of black lagoon and like to see what that eventually turns out to be like you know it's like you said i i can't really blame hero a for feeling the way he does like you know depression really like you know it hits you like it keeps you from being able to do a lot of stuff and i can only imagine what that's like trying to deal with that and also trying to write and draw manga too like and again as much as i love black lagoon and would love to see more of it and especially see more of it animated like you know i i I want hero a to take care of himself and take care of himself first and foremost you know i can wait on black lagoon you know, it's it's good enough to where I, I will wait for as long as he takes, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On the subject of similar bittersweet news, it has recently been announced that Young Animal is going to be publishing a Berserk chapter that Mira had finished. The next chapter, Berserk chapter, is 364 in the next issue of Young Animal that comes out on September 10th. And it's going to have a full color opening page. And the chapter is labeled as the latest chapter of the manga. We don't know necessarily if this is the last chapter Miura had drawn and written or it is if there are more still that he had drafted that maybe released in the future, but we have seen some preview images and it looks like, you know, this is going to provide some nice closure to at least one element of the story. And that is like Guts and Casca's child. And it seems like they reconnect and finally, and that's very nice. 
So this is another chapter, another reason that I am hoping that probably whatever the remaining uh, chapters, elements of Berserk are, they get collected in a volume and we kind of get that released because I would look to, to have that collected in a volume form. But yeah, I mean, this magazine issue in general is going to be a memorial issue to Miura. It's going to have a lot of special messages to Miura. A booklet, a poster of famous scenes from the manga. So it's, you know, a commemorative tribute to Kintaro Miura in the next issue of Young Animal. And this chapter is also just, you know, probably the centerpiece of that. So, you know, very bittersweet, but it sounds like we are going to get a very kind of emotionally cathartic chapter of Berserk to read. Like probably one of the last chapters Miura has worked on. And so that is something to treasure for sure when that comes out and we can read it. Oh yeah, that's that's gonna be really cool. Um, when when I say this, I don't want to like diminish like the weight of Mira's death because that that his death, like for me at least, and I'm sure for a lot of people, still hits really really hard. Is again, it's it's just so hard to believe he's gone. But like at the same time, I can only imagine like how many people are gonna try to go after this issue of Young Animal in particular. Like I think this is gonna be a pretty hot issue. Like I I could see a lot of people really going out of the way to try to buy this one in particular. Absolutely. I think that so many Berserk fans will want to have this issue because, again, it is a tribute to Miura and his legacy. So, yeah, I think if you're a fan, uh, I think a lot of fans will want to collect it. Next, we have an announcement of a new short story collection from Kaiyu Shirai and Posuke Mizu. That's going to come out September 3rd. It's going to collect the epilogue of The Promised Neverland, the Dreams Come True epilogue that was previously featured as part of an exhibition for the series at Tokyo last December. It's also going to include some of the most recent short stories they've done, like DC's 3, we Were Born, Spirit Fragrance Cyber Kono, and it's going to even include a previously unpublished manga specifically for the book. I'm pretty sure we'll get this out in English at some point from Wiz, especially because they have translated a lot of these one-shots that are in this book already. But yeah, this is something to look forward to if you were hoping for a you know physical volume collection of their recent one-shots. I would be surprised if this isn't announced for an English release, at least by, like, next summer. Mm-hmm. I think it's very likely. Now we're going to be talking about some new series, and first up, Miki Yoshikawa has had a big success with a couple of kakus. That's, like, getting an anime, it's doing, it's selling very well, but it turns out that she'll be working on a new manga, too, that's coming out in Visatsu Shonen Magazine this October. And that new series is called Hiragi's Bloodsucking Situation. And... It was originally a one-shot that she did back in 2019. So this kind of like a series version of that. It's described as a family comedy. We don't know that much more about it. I'm assuming from the title it'll probably have to do with like vampires in some form or or something. (laughs) The word bloodsucking certainly draws me to that Inclusion. But in any case, it's interesting that Yoshikawa is going to be working on two series at the same time, especially since Kaku's is quite popular. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always just looking forward to more of Yoshikawa's work. I really like her work. So definitely interested in checking this out, too. Mm-hmm. All I can think is probably doesn't have anything to do with anything, but all I can think is, man, I really wish Kodansha would come out and license Yankee Kun and Megane-chan. Because I, I have the feeling that, like, we're probably going to get at least all of Miki Yoshikawa's works from here on out, considering we have a couple of Kakus and uh, 
and Yamada and the Seven Witches, and I'm sure we'll get this new series. So I'm just like, Kanacha, can, can you go back a little bit? Can, can, you, can you get her first thing, please? I really like that series. Please. Thank you. Yeah, they can certainly take a chance in it for a digital release. Like, exactly. Yamada isn't necessarily like a big seller for Kanacha. Like, they had to switch to doing these two in ones, and they only release like a volume a year nowadays. So. Yamada probably isn't a great seller, but Cuckoo's at least seems like it'll be pretty popular over here. It is pretty popular in Japan, at least. So I think that popularity will translate. I don't know how the digital sets are, but I, I think that if that comes down to print, that'll do pretty well. So, you know, I think there is interest in her work. I think that, you know, I don't know if a print release for Yangikun is viable, but I think digital. Probably you not, know, yeah. Could be fine for it. I mean, Miki Yoshikawa, at the very least, like, seems like the kind of creator where Kadansha's like, oh, her stuff is really popular in Japan. We we should really just have this available in English just because, you know? Yeah, at least hopefully. You know, I would like to see that uh, available as well. Now, on the subject of other Kadansha uh, contractor doctors who do work in Shonen Magazine, uh, so Yoshi Yasuda of Days fame has been launching a new series that's a limited series called Pause. And this is uh, a five-chapter series that's going to be on Astronomy Club Teen Graffiti that is uh, going to be a center on teams of pain and rebirth and begins with a shattered dream. So, I mean, this has already been published, and I'm sure, unfortunately, they did not, like, simulpub this or anything, but I'm sure that if this gets collected in volume form, we might see a digital release of this, because Days uh, has a digital release over from Kadansha and... Yeah, I'm interested in it because I read quite a bit of Days uh, back in the day, and I enjoyed a lot of it, so I'm interested in another work from Yasuda. And now we've got a lot of new titles coming out in Grand Jump, which I'm sure makes Maxi very happy that there are like <laughs> four, three-ish big creators that are all launching new manga in three different issues in Grand Jump. Of course, Kengo Hanazawa of I Am A Hero fame is launching a new title called Sareishi in the September 1st issue of Grand Jump. And then Hideki Arai of Hitoshi no Erin fame is launching a new manga called Panjaya Ne that's coming out on the September 15th issue. And then Hirochi Maki of Koji, the only place to live fame is releasing a new manga of theirs called Downtimes on October 6th. So, yeah, like, three consecutive issues, three new manga from pretty big-name creators with, like, some hits under belts, some pretty notable titles under belts. So, yeah, definitely stuff to look forward to, especially Hanazawa's new manga, for sure, is something I'm interested in as someone who really enjoyed I Am A Hero. So, yeah, definitely, definitely interested in these new titles. I'm definitely waiting to see, like, what Maxi might think of these series in particular. Absolutely. Now we're on the subject of spin-offs, and we're starting off with one that, you know, I'm very excited about, uh, because we are 
getting a Yashihime manga adaptation by Takashi Shina, artist of Ghost Reaper, Mikami, and Sentai Ken and Children. I know that Sakaki and Maxi were left with mixed feelings about this, because, you know, this is probably the best chance Shina has of getting one of their works licensed, and it's a Yashihime manga adaptation instead of, like, you know, one of his bigger name works. But hey, I'm excited for this, because Shina's art is fantastic, and his storytelling is pretty good, so I think he can probably write a really strong version of Yashihime and I really love the promotional art he did of it the cover art with him and him showing the protagonist of Yashihime and the that they can children crew so I think that's very strong and yeah this is coming out in the next issue of Shonen Sunday S on September 25th so look forward to that it's funny the story of how this started because initially like he he made an offer to do it and he drew like a promotional key art for it and then I guess like the publisher was like hey yeah we should have Shina draw Yashikuma Manga Notation. And like Takashi was like, oh, I thought this was like a joke, but now it's actually happening. But he's interested in seeing how Shashomaru was drawn in Shina's style. So yeah, yeah, I'm also interested in how he's going to draw Shashomaru. And because I like how he's drawn all the protagonists so far. Like I think Toa and Morha look really cool. So yeah, I am very, very excited for this. I don't know if this will simulpose this. I'm sure they will license uh, it in volume form though. So yeah, looking forward to reading this. Looking forward to seeing Sheena's take on Yashihime. And now, this is the perfect chance for Viz to bring out all of Zetai Karin children, all 50 plus volumes in print. It's definitely gonna happen. Well, I mean, we can dream. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm being facetious, but it, it, it would be pretty cool to at least have like some some of this guy's work come over to the US, you know? Absolutely. Sorry, I I, prob- I probably made everybody over at Saturday Night Shoggy really sad. Yeah, it's like hockey's <laughs> weeping silently right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I guess in terms of spinoffs, is it okay if I mention the next one? Sure thing. All right, so apparently in the ninth issue of Akita Shoten's uh, Young Champion Retsu, it was revealed that there is going to be a new Lupin the Third spinoff manga entitled Lupin the Third Neighbor World Princess. That will be launching in the 39th issue. Uh, I guess by the time you're listening to this, it'll have uh, it'll have already be been published on August 26th. But uh, Yosuke Saiki is uh, is writing the manga, uh, while Kayaki Uchiuchi is going to be illustrating it. Uh, the magazine hints in particular that it will have an isekai summoning story. So an isekai Lupin the Third manga. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, I hope someone picks this up because honestly, I'd, I'd read it. Absolutely. The fact that they call it like an isekai summoning story makes me think that like I'm sure like a, like a princess of another f- of another like world or whatever is probably gonna like summon somebody to like help her on like whatever quest she's on and she's gonna like somehow summon Lupin the Third <laughs> or something. <laughs> it'll it'll be like I I can't believe I'm about to make this reference. It'll be like Sonic and the Black Knight, except it'll maybe be like Lupin the Third and the Black Knight or something. Hmm. Anyway, that was a dumb reference. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. This just sounds really cool. I'm I'm happy to see that like uh, we're getting like more Lupin the Third manga. Uh, I I feel like it's been a while since we've. I mean, I guess I don't really know if that for sure. It's there's always been spinoffs been that have been running. So it's honestly been a long time since there's been a new Lupin manga. But yeah, this is a cool new take on Lupin to see you know Lupin mixed with the isekai genre, and I think that could lead to some fun results. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sure maybe hopefully somebody will pick this up. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah, I I, I would give it a chance. Yeah, I think Lupin's seen a resurgence recently. And since this is a newer title and it's related to, you know, Isekai, which is proper drawing, I could see Seven Seas uh, take a chance on it. Or Bien or someone's. Yeah, looking forward to this. Hopefully this will get localized. Mm-hmm. But uh, now we have some pretty big JoJo's news if you want to talk about that, Lum. Oh, yeah. Let's start off with the JoJo spin-off that got announced. So part eight recently ended. And so uh, in the aftermath of that, we got some news about some cool new JoJo's things. And one of that is that JoJo's getting his first ever spin-off by Kohei Kadano, writer Boogie Pop and others, and art by Tasuku Karasuma, who's the artist in Ilgun's life. And we don't know too much about the story. We just got a key visual, but it seems that it's going to be about Josuke and Hall because they're in the key visual and so how's that gonna work out like josuke meets hall horse are they gonna go on an adventure what's that gonna be like Th- that sounds pretty fun actually yeah it does those seem like fun personalities bouncing off each other so yeah that's really exciting interesting news and i'm curious to see how that series will turn out and i would love to see this get a simul release from viz alongside the next big thing which is we are getting jojo part nine which i'm not surprised because iraqi mentioned it ideas for part nine for the longest time so now yeah we're getting jojo part nine and Araki's taking a little break because he just finished a Jolien, which was running for 10 years. So he deserves a little break. But yeah, that's coming. And it's going to be called Jojo Lands, which also makes sense because of a big plot point at the end of part eight that I'm sure is going to get carried over into part nine about how they're going to need to look for Rokaka fruits and other islands that it could be on and stuff. So yeah, I could definitely see part nine be a continuation of some of the lingering plot threads in part eight because there was definitely a lot of stuff that seemed like Rocky was setting up for the future uh, installment of the story. Like there are some lingering ideas, some characters even that probably could show up again. So yeah, I am interested. I'm very excited for Jojo Lands. I hope that Viz takes a chance on Simul pubbing it because I know people would really love that. Both that and the spinoff manga that got announced. Like I, I really would love to see both that get Simul oh, races. Yeah. That'd be so cool. But yeah. First new JoJo's part in 10 years uh, since JoJo Lane is so long. Uh, it took 10 years. So yeah, like, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see the conclusion of the Corpse Part trilogy, if it does conclude with this part. But since I feel like JoJo's is written kind of in a trilogy format with parts 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6 and then now 7 to 9, I think so. So I'm interested in seeing a lot of the loose ends and a lot of the overarching plot treads from parts 7 and 8 see some sort of uh, further development and perhaps even and probably a conclusion in part 9. So a lot to look forward to. A lot to speculate about like what the where the direction the story is going to go. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for this. Mm-hmm. That about does it for our serialization news, but not with all our JoJo news, because as we get into our licenses updates, we will mention that Golden Wind has been added to the Jump app and Shonen Jump Vault. So if you want to check out the Golden Wind manga and you have the Shonen Jump app and Vault, well, there you go. You can check it out in there. The first volume is up in there. Covers through the end of Jarno, like passing the test to get into Passion. So yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good chunk of chapters for you to check out. That's pretty cool. I'm I'm glad to see that like they're putting Golden Wind up like so immediately after the first volume. Like that's just that's just really cool to see. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, in in terms of like other like stray licensing stuff, we have to talk about. So that this kind of gets into some of the simul pubs that we won't be talking about this episode. Again, we will be talking about these just kind of when we have the time, uh, eventually. But for now, we'll just let you guys know. That in terms of new series on both the Shonen Jump and Manga Plus apps, recently uh, they both added the first six chapters as well as the latest three chapters of Kubo Won't Let Me Be Invisible from Nene Yukimori. As well as, uh, well, I guess by the time you're listening to this, uh, this will already be out, but Shonen Jump did announce that Dan Dadan from Yukinobu Tatsu is going to be coming to... I guess specifically, like, the browser version, I guess it's not going to be available on the app. But, I mean, if you read Manga Plus, if you read it on Manga Plus, you can read it on the app. That's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, We knew about Dandadan coming because I think the editor for that mentioned that, like, it was going to be coming to English, like, a little while ago. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's cool that uh, we're getting some new simul pubs from Shonen Jump and Manga Plus. I, I haven't read these yet. Obviously, I mean, I haven't read Kubo yet, and Dandadan's not out at the time of this recording, but I am looking forward to reading them and talking about them on the show when we can, like, find the time to do so. Yeah, I really like Kubo. I read up on everything they put out, Wiz put out, and I think it's a a nice kind of iteration of this genre of, you know, like these kind of introverted, shy boys kind of get teased by like this very extroverted girl who kind of pushes them out of their shell and they start forming a friend group and stuff. It's very much in the vein of Nagatoro and Tagagi-san. And I think it's a cute version of that. I think that from the glimpses of what I saw in the the recent chapters, like I think I really like how the friend group is going to develop and the relationships that they start to form. Because even like with the chapter gap skip and not having a lot of the context for some of the stuff in the recent few chapters, like I really did like the relationship that was presented and explored there and like the camaraderie between the friend group. So I'm really interested in seeing how that develops. I'm hoping that they start filling in that gap pretty regularly so we can get caught up pretty regularly. I'd love to, to close that a little bit. But yeah, this seems like a little or a nice fun little comedy to follow. And Don to Don I'm of course very, very interested in because uh, highly recommended. I've been talked up a lot. I definitely want to check it out and see like what all the enthusiasm, what all the hype is about. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm again I'm looking forward to both of those. But uh that's not even the end of our like Cyberpub news. Yes, because Comic is also added two new manga titles to their service recently, Beneath the Mask and uh, Girl Crush. And I've also checked these out and we'll talk more about them on the uh, next episode. We do news and can cover simulpubs and whatnot. But I will say that Beneath the Mask, that one I wasn't as big a fan of when I checked it out. Only the first chapter is out. This seems to be like a really, really new series because the next chapter isn't even coming out until next one. So I think this might be like a true simul pub kind of thing. This comes to us art by Naneko Kobato, uh, written by N. Nikokawa. This is kind of, it's one of those like kind of aristocratic fantasy series. It imagines this kind of world of like, high society kind of this antiquated idea of nobility from like the victorian era but the perspective and the sympathy just feel like 
at the wrong person like it's very much on the side of this like aristocratic person who i guess she she is inconvenienced by having to hide her face behind the mask but like in the first chapter it's just like her and her brother like tearing down this girl who is from a lower class who just want to I guess, break into high society and have a relationship with the prince or whatever. And I guess she was an opportunist, this a girl, or and she's not necessarily a good person. But the way the chapter was written was just so mean-spirited. It didn't really make me endeared to the protagonist and, like, want to root for her in calling out this other equally bad person and there was this weird classes element that it seemed like it was that someone from a lower station should never try and even attempt to rise above theirs so that seemed to be an undercurrent and maybe more is going to be explained about this person's circumstances in future chapters but like i did not leave a good first impression Meanwhile, Girl Crush by Tayana Midori, that's what I really, really am enjoying. Like, this is a story basically about, like, this girl who is just so driven and motivated to, like, just be the best in everything and sell at everything. Because she used to be, like, this super introvert when she was a child. And she had, like, this stigma against her. People were avoiding her because, like, there was this whole hullabaloo about, like, her mom, like, cheating on her dad when she was a kid. And then there was, like, this whole thing about that. And then that affected her own reputation in her classroom. But she had, like, this one friend of hers that would always, like, reach out to her and spend time with her. And then she had feelings for him and she wanted to become someone who could like be by his side. So she decided she'd be someone who would excel in everything, like be super popular, be super good in athletics and sports. And then so she's this really driven person. And then she meets like this girl who has aspirations to become like a K-pop idol. And like initially she doesn't have a very good opinion of her because she's, she seems like she's just a goof off. But this girl has huge respect for her. So they kind of get into like a little bit of a competitive thing. It's like kind of one-sided rivalry on her part. It kind of reminds me of Tepu in that way. But like essentially the direction of the story seems to be these two girls like are going to kind of both try and buy to become like K-pop idols and will follow like their careers and kind of like their friendship and rivalry. And I'm really excited to see how that develops because I really enjoyed the chapters that are out right now. And yeah, like I, I really enjoyed this one. This one is one I'd recommend for sure. So I'm excited to talk more about it when when we do reconvene and talk about like new simuls. So yeah, like uh, I think Girl Crush is a cool new title. Beneath Mass, maybe not so much, but maybe I'll have a different opinion when we cover it later on. But yeah, I mean, that's not the all in terms of new simulpub news because Katakawa announced that they were are doing their own Simulpub program. Uh, they announced this at Virtual Crunchyroll Expo that they are basically kind of doing their own Simulpub translations in-house uh, for a few of its titles to speed up their ebook to translate and distribution module. And they're starting with seven manga titles and three newly licensed light novels. They're going to start this in October. They're going to release these uh, on Bookwalker Global. They're going to publish like uh, the Simulpubs uh, on there and night novel chapters by chapter, one by one. And uh, they plan to do this to speed things up because I guess they feel like the turnaround time to do some of the stuff when licensed by other publishers was taking a little long to get everything they wanted out there. I mean, they have ambitious plans. They plan to like have like a hundred titles on the Simulpub program at eventually at some point and then they also plan to offer their slime posts on other platforms too 
The light novels that they plan to release through this uh, platform include Hike Hero, which had an anime recently, and then I'm Quitting Heroing by Quantum and drawn by Hana Amano, and then Insipid Princess Further Draft with a Throne by Tanba and art by Yanagi. So I guess those are the light novel titles on their starting lineup. As for the manga, their simulpugs will include A Boy Race by Gods Will Be the Strongest, which has art by Toya Kuno, character designs by Fame, and Ryosuke Hata is the original light novel author, it seems. And basically, this is a, about a kid who is abandoned and brought to this mountain where he was educated by gods and became like a big brave boy knight and then is asked by a priestess to save the world so a lot of i'm trying to know a lot of these titles they're all kind of uh, fantasy type stories similarly i'm quitting heroing this title it has art by nori kazato quantum is the original uh, writer and hana amano is character designer and this is about the strongest hero in this world who is not really wanted or doesn't feel wanted in the, a peaceful human world because he's too strong. And so he instead seeks a job of the Demon King's army, which he defeated and needs to be rebuilt. And the army has a lot of problems because it's overworked. There's financial troubles and he makes things better with his power. And then he encounters the demon lord again and asks her why she evaded the human world and then learns some unexpected facts and so this primary is actually sounds kind of interesting and this is the comic version of the novel that originally won like a big prize for a novel online novels so that's kind of interesting so this is probably one to look out for next we have magic stone gourmet eating magical power made me the strongest this has art by kenji sugawara ryo yuki is the writer and shisato naruse is character designer this is about a goddess incarn reincarnates a guy as a nobleman which is a big chance for him and he gets like a special skill that's kind of lame called toxic decom position ex and then he learns like he has a very rare talent that makes him able to absorb magic power by eating magic stones and then he's told that he has a other identity as the prince of the largest kingdom and so he has his mom and fiance by his side as he goes on a quest to be a king this it sounds like a lot of oh and then this happens kind of uh writing and as far as this uh, plot summary goes but yeah I, I guess he's both a noble and he's a prince and he has all these powers so there you go. Then we have My Little Sister Stole, My Fiancé, The Strongest Dragon Favors Me, and Plans to Take Over the Kingdom. This has art by Hiate Mugi, uh, written by Tim Kashiwa, and Kurozan by Komta. And this is about a girl who wants to be chosen as a fiancé of the prince, and her wish comes true. But her younger sister actually fell in love with the prince at first sight and begs to be her, the fiancé of him instead of her. And that gets approved by her father and the king. And so she decides to jump into the magma uh, to become a dragon bride, sacrifice herself for a her family, which her father also approves. But something unexpected happens because the legendary dragon god saves her from debt and takes her to her den and uh, decides to marry her, according to the legend. So she begins life as the dragon's bride. And so this could be an interesting uh, premise, like a relationship between this woman who essentially kind of feels like she was abandoned by her family in some sense, and then finds like a new companion in this also isolated dragon god. So that could be quite interesting. 
Uh, in a similar vein of like consort type stories, you have 31st Consort. This manga is drawn by Tsubasa Nanaki and Momonotome drew the, uh, wrote the original novel and Nanao Yamashita is the character designer. And this is about a girl who, you know, specializes in farming medical whores and she's chosen as the 31st consort of the king. But because of that, the king has 31 consorts, and I guess he only visits one on a certain day of the month. So she, the king is only going to visit her on the 31st day of the month. So I guess she's really out of luck on 31 days, and especially February. It's because the 31st day only appears once every three months. And, you know, it's unthinkable that the king will choose her as the consort. But turns out the house that she's given from the king is a beautiful garden where she can grow vegetables in hers. And, you know, she's a very kind person. And many knights become attracted to her. And even the king gets interested in her. So it looks like this is a, a reverse harem starting like this just really nice girl who kind of has her own like garden she gets to attend to and then gets visited by you know handsome men every once in a while next we got the insipid princess fritter grab for the throne this has art by yukino amagai tanba's the original light novel writer and yunagi's the original character designer this is about a guy who was once called the insipid prince because his brother was a genius and respected and he is not but he has a secret identity because he is one of only like five super SS rank adventurers in the continent. So when his brother decides to go for the throne, he decides to run things behind the scenes to support him. And then a beautiful lady becomes his assistant. And so he is like the secret uh, strong prince, uh, the secret uh, power behind the throne, it looks like. And then finally, we've got Lotus Eaters, Drunk and Sober. This comes from Mizutaki, and Zune is the original writer, and this is about a girl who works in an Isukaya pub in a fantasy land, and she's supposed to girl the pub, and she's worried that customers have disappeared and ghouls have connect them, so a priestess comes to investigate why that is. And so there's a little bit of a mystery there. Where did the customers go? And so the first three chapters of all these titles are actually available to read through Rook Garker Grover right now. Uh, through September 1st, you can check them out. And yeah, Simul Pulse will follow suit. So, a big starting lineup of fantasy titles from Katakawa. I've seen a lot of mixed feelings about this, especially from localizers in the industry who fear that they are going to, you know, use like kind of uh, these agencies that underpay people pretty badly and cheapen the work of labor and a lot of these might end up being rush jobs and especially since Katatao has said that they are working on some sort of technology that they're going to implement that is going to speed up the translation or lettering process so it looks like they're looking into some automated machine thing that's not super great in terms of like about how it affects localizer jobs and but also just the quality of the end product is not always guaranteed to be very good so it is definitely something to be skeptical of if they are really going that route i mean i guess we will have to see like how they handle these and how successful this model is and where they gain any traction of it but yeah i mean if you are interested in any Akatakawa titles that have not yet been licensed, especially a lot of these titles that seem to be very much in the fantasy genre, it seems like they are definitely offering a lot of stuff now on Bookwalker. So you can check those out. All right. But uh, 
I guess in terms of the next thing to talk about, uh, this one I thought was uh, really interesting because uh, Mangamo during their virtual Crunchyroll Expo panel recently basically announced that they are going to be adding Jin from Motoka Murakami, uh, which is basically a historical medical manga, basically about a doctor who like ends up being sent back in time to like uh, feudal era Japan. So this this was interesting to me specifically because uh, and I I really have to thank uh, V Lord for like uh, you know because I, I think he was reading this in particular because this is a series that Murakami in particular actually has available on his Patreon. As far as I know, I think you could just read the whole series through his Patreon for like five bucks a month, like all translated and everything. And I guess that's just going to be carried over to Mangumo. Um, at the time of this recording, I, I just checked Mangamo and it's not up yet, but maybe it'll be available by the time this episode's out. I don't know for sure, but, uh, you know, it, basically, if you uh, if, if you want to read it on Mangamo, I'm sure it'll be there eventually. Or if you want to read it even sooner, I mean, look, honestly, I would say, especially if you want to support Murakami directly, you know, just, just go to his Patreon and read it there. Like, honestly, I definitely want to, like, get to reading this at some point because it from, from what I've seen V-Lord post about it in particular, it, it looks really interesting. Yeah, it's really great. Also worth noting that uh, Mangamo now has a new feature on their app uh, where basically you'll be able to read one free chapter of at least most of their series on the app. And it looks like, depending on the series, they'll have like a specific number of chapters that you can read for free. So, uh, for instance, if you wanted to read I Want to Be Your Girl... Uh, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, the first 15 chapters of that are free right now. So say if you wanted to read that series in particular, you know, the first 15 chapters are free, but uh, you can only read one chapter per day, which, you know, I, I think that's fair. Personally, I'm just glad that Mangabo's giving customers like a free option in the first place. Even if you only have like a limit of one chapter a day still, um, I think that also gives people incentive to like, hey, if you if you would rather read more than one chapter in one sitting, then, hey, you have to sign up, uh, subscribe to the app, which I think that's totally fair. Um, and also worth noting, just going back to Jin, that um, it looks like the first 20 chapters of Jin, when that's available on Mangamo, uh, will be available to read for free as well. So if you wanted to read the first 20 chapters of Jin in particular, you'd only be able to read one chapter a day. But again, they're still available for free. And again, I, I just think that's really cool. All right, but I think it's time we get to our actual licensing news, and uh, oh boy, it, it, it seems like uh, e even before we get to the Yen Press stuff, looks like Yen Press is, uh, uh, as we speak, uh, announcing even more things that uh, I guess we're just going to have to talk about on this episode. But uh, for now, I'm at least going to like cover the Yen Press stuff that we already had on the docket uh, before we even get to those. And uh, I'm going to start off with Banished from the Heroes Party, I Decided to Live a Quiet Life in the Countryside, illustrated by Masahiro Ikeno, uh, with character designs by Yasumo, uh, with the original uh, work done by Zapon, in which, despite being the bearer of the powerful divine blessing of the guide, Red has been banished from the Heroes Party. Listless, he decides to head to the frontier and hatches a plan to spend his days working an easy apothecary job. Thus, his new life begins. Next up, we have From the Red Fog by Daigo Murasaki, in which the story takes place in England at the end of the 19th century. A string of gruesome incidents all lead back to a single boy who was born into a world where chaos, order, wealth, and poverty are all deeply intertwined. 
guided by a deep solitude, what fate awaits him in the end. So I wonder if this is going to be like a like a Jack the Ripper kind of thing, maybe? I don't know. It Like, the cover alone already looks pretty menacing and cool. So, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably check this one out. Next up, we have Demon Lord 2099, a light novel written by Daigo Murasaki, illustrated by Kureta, in which it takes place in the fused era year of 2099 Shinjuku. The dazzling prosperity of this massive city-state conceals a lurid darkness just beneath its surface. It is here in this megalopolis, megalopolis, I can't say that word, uh, that represents the pinnacle of human development where the legendary demon lord Veltal makes his second coming. Uh, to rule this brave world, he will have to take hold of the future for himself. So, I don't know what any of that means, but <laughs> the cover for this looks really cool, and I genuinely thought for a second, like, oh, this looks kind of like Kill a Kill a little bit. <laughs> like, the, the the character designs looked a little similar to me, but I don't know if there's really any, like, real connection. Probably not. But uh, it looks it looks cool. That's all I have to say about it. Now, this one I had heard the Saturday Night Shaggy crew actually talk about on their latest episode. So I was I, I thought this sounded kind of interesting. We have Chitose-kun is in the Ramane Bottle, the light novel written by Hiromu, illustrated by Ramiz in which as far as normies go, it's hard to beat Saku Chitose, the most popular kid in his high school? Check. An ironclad reputation that can even weather vicious online attacks? Check. A group of friends who are as attractive on the outside as they are on the inside? Check. But when a teacher asks Saku to help a student who has been shut away in his room for months to reacclimate to school life, his perfect world will never be the same. What is this? Some kind of normie harem story? <laughs> <laughs> That kind of made me cringe a little bit, but I, uh, you know, from listening to the latest Saturday Night Shoggy, apparently, like, this, like, title in particular had a lot of people, like, kind of talking online and everything, so, I don't know, maybe it's good, but, like, I'd at least, like, check it out, but I also don't know if, like, it would be my thing, I don't know. Yeah, if there's buzz about it, I'm definitely curious about it, but that was a good little selection of Yen titles, but they announced so much more. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we'll go into them. They've got both manga and light novel announcements. We'll start out with their, their manga ones. First up, we've got cross-dressing villainous Cecilia Sylvie. This is another, you know, reincarnated villainous kind of story. Like this character, Cecilia, she's been reincarnated as a villainous, so dating sim, fate to die, no matter the route. And to avoid this fate, she decides to cross-dress as a man. So kind of a gender-bent take on the reincarnated villainous kind of genre story. And then we've got another title, Minami Nanami Wants to Shine. This is about a high schooler named Minami Nanami, and uh, who just wants to have attention shine on her. And so she gets introduced to the modeling industry by her mom, and she delivers a whole new world. But, you know, obviously nothing's ever simple. And so I guess the story is going to be about her navigating this world of the, the modeling industry. Cover looks beautiful on this one. Yeah, really good cover. All of these initial titles from Yen that they just announced are all coming out in February 2022. So you can look forward to this February 2022 as you can the Fiance Chosen by the Ring, where a, you know, embroidery loving noble when Aurora at fancy dinner parties always usually admiring gowns and trying to win the affections of men. But at one party, one fateful party, like her piece is shattered by a mysterious ring. So I guess she ends up getting a fiance chosen through destiny through this mysterious ring. So that's a, an interesting intrigue to the premise. 
And we've got The Wolf Never Sleeps. This is a title uh, about a adventurer who challenges monsters and mazes for strength and glory. But one day he finds like a mysterious black hole that leads to another world. And can he survive this new world? And so the cover is super dark and brooding. But I, I bet the twist to this premise is that he ends up being sent to our world. So he has the, the, the world he has to survive is like the, our ordinary world. I, I'm just guessing, but, uh, you know, maybe it is. He does have to face like a dangerous, mysterious world. We'll see. This cover is probably the most badass so far. I would check it out just based on the cover alone, honestly. Yeah, very cool cover with like that. I guess it's a bear or a panther in the background. And then I thought it was a wolf. Probably a wolf. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, it's just that the fur is just so dark. But, you know, that makes sense because of the title. But yeah. And then, uh, yeah, he has this menacing glare as he's taken on the sword. So I could see it being played straight, but I could also imagine that this <laughs> uh, synopsis is a fake out for comedy. Maybe, yeah. Next we got Run on Your New Legs. This is about a guy who had a dream of becoming a soccer ace, but he lost his leg and he felt at that time that his dream had come to an end. But then he gets a prosthetic leg and he finds a new goal to become a track star and win gold at the Tokyo Paralympics. So this is a really cool uh, story about, you know, a kid who finds a new dream and becomes comfortable with kind of like his prosthetic limbs and you know that he's has a you know different type of body but like he still can compete in sports and follow an athletic dream and i think that's super cool representation super cool story so i'm really interested in checking this out next we got some cool yuri announcements that i know some people were very excited for especially this one because the title is so great catch these hands <laughs> basically about two former delinquents who meet up for the first time in years and they end up dating afterward like they make a dare that if one of them loses they have to set the other request to date her so i think that's awesome a premise about like two delinquent women now dating each other that sounds great title sounds great i know this is the kind of yuri title that so many yuri fans i know really was were dying to see more of and so i'm really excited for this one as well and then we got Mizoi No and Chayama. This is a story about rising tensions between a tea company and those who insist the company is polluting the water. And so the daughters of these feuding families aren't allowed to associate, but they meet in secret. And so I'm just kind of guessing this is a Yuri story about like two kind of star-crossed characters here. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like an interesting story about like you know, also probably dealing with environmental teams too, in addition to like kind of this forbidden relationship element. So very curious about this one. Next, we got a some light novel announcements from Yen, including Holy Grail of Eris. This is about a woman who gets framed for a heinous crime, but gets her name cleared by the ghost of a villain who was executed years ago. And then she decides to uncover the truth upon a new brand of his death. So this premise thing is pretty awesome. I definitely am curious about it, like helping clear the name of this unfairly maligned villainous. I think that's a cool story premise. Next, we got Vexations with Shut-In Vampire Princess about, basically as the title describes, a shut-in vampire waits for a slumber and has been promoted to the commander of an army, and her new squad is super insubordinate, so she has to deal with that. And we've got Warlords of Sigridfa Sigridfa Rasalk, and... 
this is a story in which like uh, there are a bunch of invaders that have wiped out all of human civilization and so their last hope are Vakulis or young women be created with aircrafts but they got Odin and this comes from the author of ReZero so this is definitely hmm. of interest if you're a fan of ReZero I think but the premise on its surface sounds kind of like strike witches so I don't know what to make of that <laughs> but we will see. I mean, I, I do like Weezer. I do think it's pretty well-written story, so I am interested in this. Then we've got Josie, the Tiger and the Fish, which I really love the movie adaptation that came out recently. I watched that. I really, really enjoyed the story. I'm definitely interested in checking out the like, novel. This is about a story about, like, kind of this guy who is a super dedicated marine biologist and like loves diving and so he has this dream of like studying overseas uh to go you know diving in like i think mexico and stuff and so he you know ends up coming across like this girl josie who is like kind of a shut-in she like lives a solitary home on this existence uh she's basically cared for by her overly protective grandmother who doesn't really let her go outside and do things because she's afraid of her getting hurt and so her grandmother hires suneo basically you know just by happenstance because they ran across from each other and he's he needs some work to pay up for his eventual trip like to become jose's caretaker and so they actually form like a really nice relationship with each other like you know, he notices that she's like a really skilled artist and he helps her kind of explore the world more. And they basically go out and hang out together and genuinely like fall in love and stuff. But, you know, there are some twists in the story that ultimately land in some tragedy and then pulling yourself up from tragedy. So it's a very compelling story. I really enjoyed the movie a lot and definitely curious to check out the original novel. Back on the subject of bug announcements, we got a new Bungo Stray Dogs spinoff. Bungo Stray Dogs, woof. And this is basically kind of a chibi comedy spinoff about the everyday lives of the cast of the armed detective agency and the mafia. So if you want chibi uh, comedy of interest to the Bungo Stray Dogs crew, uh, this manga is for you. Like a lot of really cool announcements from the end. Definitely a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to a lot, especially the new Yuri titles and some of the light novel titles sounds super, super interesting too. Oh, man. Yen Press knew we were going to be recording news today. That's why they announced all those new titles. <laughs> uh, but now I guess we can move on to uh, Square Enix. Yeah, Square Enix also had some announcements recently. They've licensed the Sinnoh Alice and Happy Marriage manga for releases in 2022. And they also have licensed a Final Fantasy fourteen picture book. And this is by the the game lead story desire from the from the game, Banriota. It's illustrated by concept artist Hiroyuki Nagamine. And this comes out on July 26, 2022. And they're also going to release the Final Fantasy XIV poster collection book on May 10th, 2022. And new editions of the Encyclopedia Erosia World of Final Fantasy XIV books on April 12th, 2022. So you have a lot of cool books and products if you're a fan of Final Fantasy XIV to look forward to next year. But on the subject of the manga... They are releasing Yokotaro, Takuto, Oke, Himiko, and Gino's Sino Alice manga based on the Sword for Game on February 8th, 2022. And it is about a girl named Alice. Like everything about her is ordinary, but her dreams are extraordinary. And in those dreams, she's interrogated by two creepy marionettes who have glass eyes that appear in the dark corners of her heart and ask about her desires and her wishes. And she tries to ignore them, but she's drawn into this wild and twisted universe of her dreams and it's 
warped by greed and desire and that warping happens to her everyday life and so she ends up being trust into a dark game of slaughter made up of fairy tale heroines who are stopped by nothing to bring their creators back to life so this seems like a cool dark premise and especially with the pedigree of all the names attached i'm definitely curious to check out the story and then next, we got Happy Marriage. Uh, this is an adaptation with a light novel series of the same tame. This is coming out on June 21st, 2022. It is done by Kumi Agitogi, Rito Kosaka, and Suhiko Tsukioka. And it's basically kind of in the same fairy tale vibe as Cinderella's. It's basically a Cinderella inspired slow burn historical romance with a paranormal twist in the Meiji era. It's about a browbeaten, mistreated daughter. It's cast out of her family, sent to audition as a bridal candidate for the hair of one of the most powerful families in the land. And she's considered, like, worthless because she doesn't have superhuman powers. The bloodline she's born into and feels unwanted, unloved. You know, she, she is very much like Cinderella because she's, like, treated as a servant by her half-sister and her stepmother. And, yeah, basically, though... Uh, you know, the, she is taken an interest in by, like, this very wealthy aristocrat guy. And, you know, even though she is taken into what is, you know, rumored to be a, a cold and cruel house, it may turn out to be much warmer than the family environment she left behind. So there you go. Kind of like a, a Cinderella-ish inspired kind of historical type story. So yeah, there you go. Interesting title from Square Enix as well. And now we got some other titles like uh, from Cross Infinite World. They license a new light novel called Return from Debt. I kick. It has a long title. Return from Debt. I kick the bucket. Now I'm back at square one with a boyfriend who doesn't remember me. This comes from Eiko Mutsuhana. And yeah, basically about a girl who was dating this guy she really liked and things seemed to be on top of the world for her. But then she, you know, her lover died under suspicious circumstances. And then she's like reincarnated in her seven-year-old body and she has no idea how she died. And so she returns to the magic encounter and hopes of reuniting with her boyfriend, but then finds that he has no memory of her. And so now she's back at square one and she has to navigate the second chance of life and change the course of his fate. And so, yeah, making her crush work out is a matter of life and death. So it sounds like kind of a, you know, fun Groundhog Day slash reincarnation type story. So, yeah, I, th I think this sounds interesting. This is going to come out on September 30th. So pretty soon here. Next, we got a new manga coming from Dark Horse, and this is a Shoggy title, which I know the Sat Night Shoggy people are happy about. This is Wataru Nadatani Cat Plus Gamer manga, basically about an office worker who has an obsession with games that she keeps private from her co-workers, and, you know, she... Is also kind of an uh, introvert because she doesn't, you know, talk about her personal life. She doesn't work overtime. She never joins us for a whole hour. But she isn't naturally social. She just loves playing games. But then she encounters a stray cat outside her office parking lot. And it ends up coming home with her. And she has no experience with press. But, you know, she uses lessons from video games to guide her cat care. And uh, her cute companion tries to understand her behaviors through its worldview. So... Funny, heartwarming, it definitely seems like a great manga if you're a fan of games and cats and how those two things intersect. It sounds like a very charming, cute little series. Next, and finally, 
as far as licensing goes, is a very exciting announcement because Udon recently has been wrapping up their releases of the main Rose of Size manga, but they're not quite done because they are going to be releasing the Rose of Size episodes manga as a two-volume omnibus in spring of next year. And they have assured us that they are learning from the experience from last time. And so they're already deep in the work of these volumes. So they will make this uh, announced release date and not delay it for years this time. But yeah, I'm very excited to see more of Ikeda's short stories that she's been doing in recent years with the Rosary Size characters and the world of it. So definitely looking at checking more of these out. Udon's release of Rosary Size has been super great so far. I've been loving it. And so I'm definitely keen to check out even more of Ikeda's original story in this world and more of these side stories that she's been writing over the past couple of years. So this is very, very exciting, very, very cool. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of licenses that were announced. Clearly, you know, publishers are making big plays. They are really bringing a lot more titles over. We've said it before, but it's worth reading again that manga is in a very good place right now in terms of sales, in terms of availability, and the market's very sustainable. It's doing very well. And we have further evidence for this because, once again, it is that time of year again for Comics Beat, led by Brian Hibbs in writing this report, to go over and analyze the NPD book scan results for 2020, break down sales through basically the main bookstore market for all the big publishers in 2020, and see how they are faring compared to year over year, you know, sales growth and successes and whatnot. And there is a lot to talk about here, for sure, in terms of how different publishers are doing, in terms of how the market is doing, because there's been a lot of growth. Just to start off with how the comics industry as a whole has grown from this year-over-year comparison, in 2020, they had a 17.43% growth from the previous year with unit sales increasing from about 3 million from about, in 2019, they were about 15 million, 537,000. In 2020, they were 18,245,000. So that's huge growth. In terms of retail value, that's almost a $50 million growth from $226 million in 2019 to $274 million in 2020. So that's, yeah, 21.2% growth, basically, in terms of sales. So very, very astonishing. Now, this is for comic book as a whole. This is not just manga. This is including manga, but as well as the rest of the comics industry. But this is, like, very strong growth. That's, like, the best year of comics that Comics Beat has ever tracked for the top 70 best-selling titles last year. So clearly in 2020, you know, comics was doing very well. And in terms of the number of different listed items and the retail value of that, that's also grown because in 2020 that it grew from 40,745 different titles in 2019 to 44,316 titles in 2020. Units sold increased by like 5 million from 24 million in 2019 to 29 million in 2020. Retail value increased by like 80 million from 399 million in 2019 to 480 million in like 2020. So big percentage of growth, big like sales per 
series here in terms of growth. So we're seeing more titles being listed in the marketplace, being listed in this top 750 of the, that represents like kind of the biggest sellers in the market. And so, yeah, comics are doing extremely well. They did extremely well in 2020. saw a lot of growth. And so now looking at like what were the best selling comics in 2020? Well, it should be no surprise to you that the majority of them were Dogman. They built the... <laughs> had dominated the top 20 comics on the list. But for our relevancy's sake, My Hero Academia was one of the top 20 best-selling comics in 2020, according to this analysis. It ranked at number 18 with 136,491 units sold. That's very impressive. That My Hero Academia Volume 1 uh, from this analysis is the best-selling manga volume of 2020 for the North American market. And while it is a far cry from Dogman's peak sales at number one with its ninth volume with a million two hundred forty thousand copies sold last year, <laughs> it's still very, very strong sales for My Hero Academia. Like, it did very, very well. And, you know, other titles also not too far behind as far as manga. Like Demon Slayer Volume 1 was the second highest selling manga volume last year. That came in number 33. And Uzumaki was third highest selling. That came in number 34. So, you know, pretty strong sales for different manga titles. Like doing pretty well. They aren't, you know, Dogman. They aren't Reina Telgemeier levels of uh, bestsellers, but manga doing very strong. Also worth noting that Volume 2 of MHA, while not making the top 20, it also sold over 100,000 copies. It sold about 106,000 copies, so very, very strong. It's also worth noting in this analysis that it really underlines how little value the direct market is for manga sales because the... Volumes of MHA sold through the direct market, sold through Diamond, were only about 3,219, which is just a fraction of the total amount of volume sold through all these different retailers that Comics Read tracks through the NYB books hands. So that is quite telling. But it is quite telling that there are so many different manga authors who sold more than 100 thousand copies combined in 2020 so many different creators of course chief among them for the manga side and the third highest selling author in the north american market of all comics creators last year in 2020 overall was koi orikoshi who between all his different series between all those different volumes moved over 1 million 55,000 units Oof. last year that is very impressive. Like, not that far behind Rain and Telgemeier selling 1,128,000 copies last year. Very close gap between Horikoshi and Telgemeier. Uh, the far cry from Pilkey again, because Pilkey sold 4 million. Uh, <laughs> very far number one. But, you know, Horikoshi doing extremely well. But also very notable is that Koihara Kotogi, they were number four as four authors on the list for authors who sold over 100,000 copies, number four of all comics creators. And it is notable, like they're number four, but they only sold 557,369,000 9, copies of their work, which is still a, a extraordinary amount, but it, is, it does underscore like, man, there's such a gap between Gotoge and Horikoshi. It just underscores like how big a series MHA is in particular. But other 
authors that did extremely well last year were Junji Ito. He moved 250,000 copies of his work last year. Suyashida moved 250,000 uh, copies of his work. Kai Shirai, both Kenoisa, they moved 243,000 copies of their work. Hajime Sugiyama moved 236,000 copies of his work. Masashi Kishimoto moved 230,000 copies. Akira Toriyama moved 228,000 copies. Uh, Hiroko Araki moved 223,000 copies. Kentaro Miura moved 120,000 copies. Haruchi Fordate moved 220,000 different copies. So, yeah, Haikyuu sold almost as much as Berserk last year, which is, again, wow. shows how far like sports manga have come in our market now. Uh, one sold about 200,000 different copies. Ichiro Oda sold 189,000 different copies. Akira Himakawa sold about 162,000 different copies. Sugumi Oba sold 132,000 different copies. Aidoro sold 130,000 different copies. Or Tagaki sold 128,000 different copies. Atsushi Okubo sold 227,000 copies. Hiromashima sold 121,000 copies. Yuchiro Tagashi sold 118,000 copies. And... Uh, this makes Sakaki happy, I'm sure, because Oda, not that one, but Oda Tomohito sells 116,000 different copies. So, yeah, Tomohito Oda off of Komi is one of the best-selling authors uh, in the market last year. And, yeah, Naoki Takeuchi sold 190, 109,000 different copies as well last year. And uh, Hidenori Kusaka rounds out this list of authors who sold more than 100,000 copies of their work last year with about 103,000 copies. So that is a lot of different manga creators. That's over 20 different authors who had sales over 100,000 copies last year. Like, again, extremely successful. Yeah, that's almost half the people on this list. It is. It is. Like, again, manga is super competitive. Really up there competing with like some of the highest big selling authors in the market. And especially again, Horikoshi is a step above like even a lot of North American authors in terms of how many copies MHA souls. Like the third highest selling author and not that far behind Telgemeier at number two. That is incredibly impressive. Now we'll move on to talking about kind of the manga market specifically and its growth over last year. And it is quite significant because, of course, we have been talking about it, but manga had huge sales growth last year. It went from unit sales of 3.5 million in 2019 to 5.4 million in 2020, so almost a 2 million unit sales increase, and a sales increase of about 49.9 million to 77.7. So, like, that's like a 1.133 increase. Like, that's a, that's, that is an increase of sales about like, uh, over a third there. That's very impressive. I mean, actually, yeah, it's probably 1.5 times increased multiplier. So, yeah, like very impressive sales. And this actually is only like the fifth best year for manga in terms of units sold because the peak of manga's new sales in terms of units sold was back in 2007 with 6.8 million copies being moved. But in terms of retail value, this is the highest calculated year for manga sales ever, which is quite phenomenal. In terms of placing titles, like, it was only even a marginal increase of 332 in 2019 to 358 in 2020. So, 
only a couple more titles with like exponentially greater more sales and uh, units being moved. So that's quite significant, like really strong year over year growth for manga doing extremely, extremely well. And yeah, it is noted that a lot of manga sales are driven by the domination of series because manga sell like periodicals and you know, manga ebbs and flows in terms of like what it hits and what's popular. But like, because a lot of manga are sold as series that, you know, uplifts sales because so many people, you know, go out to try and collect as much of the series as they can. And that doesn't always work out with longer series. But as we see with titles like MHA, you know, we don't have much of a hammock effect. We have like people in equal measure trying to collect as much of every volume of the series as they can. Not just uh, early and the later stuff, but all around it, the entire run of it. And MHA, of course, is like the big leader of sales here because 36 volume of the franchise, like basically every volume of the main series, every one of Vigilantes and some volumes of Smash showed up as among the top 750 selling manga titles last year. So basically, they represent, in terms of units sold, one in five manga volumes units sold in the top 750. So that's quite remarkable. Like, one in five manga sold last year in terms of units sold was an MHA volume. And, of course, MHA dominates the top 10 manga sold in 2020, which, as mentioned before, volume one had like 135,000 copies sold. Uh, then Volume 2 had about 106,000 copies sold, and that was the number two highest selling title last year for manga. Volume 24 was the fourth highest selling title for manga last year that had about 76,000 copies sold. Volume 3 was the fifth highest selling manga last year that had some... The 1,000 copies sold. Volume 23 was the sixth best-selling title last year. That is 64,000 copies sold. Volume 4 came to number 8 on the list last year, and that 49,000 copies sold. And Volume 5 came in at number 10 on the list last year. That had 52,000 copies sold. Uh, I think there's probably an error there. I think, actually, uh, Volume 4 at number 8 was 59,000 copies sold. But yeah, like, basically... MHJ dominated sales, as you can see from these charts. Like, seven out of the top ten selling manga last year were MHJ volumes. And sales for Volume 1 in particular, like, Volume 1 sold about 99,000 copies in 2019. So, its sales alone, that one volume sales are up by about 36% from 2019 to 2020. And then the only other manga in the top ten highest selling Manga volumes for the North American market last year uh, was Demon Slayer with Volume 1 being the third highest selling title with uh, 81,000 copies sold. And Volume 2 came in at number 9 with 53,000 copies sold. And Junji Ito also came in the top 10 at number 7 with just 62,000 copies sold, which was also up quite significantly from its sales previously uh, in 2019, which were about 36,000 copies. So... That is like a huge increase, almost a double increase. That's very significant, very remarkable. So yeah, I mean, just very strong backlist of titles, very strong core titles that have interest in selling really, really well. Uh, other 
titles of note that had significant sales for individual lines were Haiku, Volume 1 of that sold about 50,000 copies. That came in number 12 as of the highest selling manga last year. Toy Mananako Khan, Volume 1, sold 48,000 copies. That came in number 13 of the highest selling manga last year. Tokyo Ghoul, Volume 1, sold 47,000 copies. That came in number 15 of the highest selling volume of manga last year. Promise Neverland Volume 1 came in with 37,000 copies sold last year at number 19 on the list. And Dead Note Volume 1 sold about 35,000 copies, came in at number 21. And Naruto sold with Volume 1 34,000 copies and came in at number 24. So a lot of significant sales for different titles. And it's interesting, of the 358 different books that represent uh, the top 75 highest selling titles last year... Only 84 were a distinct series. Like, those 358 books come from 84 distinct series. So that is an interesting thing to note as well. But yeah, in terms of the long tail sales of uh, listed items, that's up quite significantly from 2019 to 2020 from 9,928 listed items to 12,423 listed items which is a huge amount of units sold change, too, from 7,461,000 units sold in 2019 to 10,766,000 units sold in 2020. A huge sales increase, about like 50 million in terms of calculated retail volume, from 110 million in 2019 to 161 million in 2020. A big percentage growth change, big average sales uh, increase there. So again, huge, huge, uh, big sales for manga last year. We're seeing a lot of growth in terms of different titles being made available and different titles being sold and move. And of course, that translates to the significant jump in retail value, retail sales that we saw. And now we have to talk about, like, how does this break down by publisher? And, well, as is no surprise, Viz Media has a monopoly. It owns two-thirds of the market, basically, and represents 63% of all sales of all manga by all these publishers. So that's pretty remarkable. This is a virtual monopoly. If we compare it to, like, the comic record in general, like, you know, North American comics publishers don't have this kind of uh, distribution monopoly that this has in, in the same way. So this has huge monopoly over the manga market, uh, or at least a huge chunk of the sales belong to them. Kodansha is the second biggest publisher with representing about 13% of sales last year. Yen Plus is close behind at third place with 10% of sales last year. Then we got Seven Seas at 7%, Dark Horse at 4%, Vertical at 2%, and then all other publishers combined make up less than 1%. So your Square Enixes, your Tokyo Pops, your Dempas, all contributed to less than 1% of manga sales last year, which is quite astonishing. But yeah, Wiz dominated 259 of the 358 books that represent the top 50 uh, books sold last year. 4.3 million books sold for them last year. 58 million calculated retail value. 54% growth for Viz. Very, very strong seller. Very, very strong company. They are really dominating the marketplace. And yeah, to return to like how the series are doing, like nothing from My Hero Academia sells under 17,000 copies. 
all eight volumes of My Hero Academia Vigilantes, they sell under 18k, but just under 18k. All three volumes of Angie Smash that came into Top 50 last year sell under 10k. But yeah, like seven of his top 10 high selling titles are MHA, and MHA is also 11 of their top 20. MHA alone represents 1.2 million books combined for them. And that's up dramatically from 862,000 books of MHA they sold in 2019. So, you know, MHA has huge growth in sales. But Demon Slayer is also Viz's second biggest property. Two volumes placing in their top 10. 19 volumes overall placing in the top 75. So basically every volume placed in the top, top 750 for manga last year. And yeah, the property shipped at 557,000 units. And that's a huge jump from 2019 where it only sold 116,000 units. So like a 400,000 sales increase in terms of units sold last year is really remarkable. But yeah, uh, Junji Ito, very strong seller for Viz, as mentioned before, and Ito's other books, like Gyo, also do well. Like, Gyo sells just over 250,000, so does Tomi and Smashed. Uh, Shiver, I mean, as the Minds Web, sell a little bit over 20k. No Longer Human and Revenant sell a little over 15k, and Frankenstein and Fragments of Horror sell within the 10k range. And we mentioned some of the other titles that do well for Viz, like Haikyuu, Tokyo Gold, Death Note, and the like. But also worth noting is that Komi Can't Communicate, like, sold almost 30,000 copies last year. Uh, Beastars and Assassination Classroom, uh, the volume ones of each of those sold about 28,000 copies each last year. And then Hunter Hunter, Dojo Bizarre Adventure, and One Punch Man also all come in in terms of the 25,000 range in terms of their volume sales last year. So all very strong sellers. It's really interesting to see Komi among those titles. It's a title that has like sales to that magnitude above some like even pretty big shown in action series too. That's really remarkable for it. But yeah, Fizz growth, uh, very significant, pretty exponential in terms of like amount of units they've sold, uh, in terms of the value of their product, how much they've got back from that. So yeah, Fizz, uh, <laughs> strongest publisher in the market. Kadansha also does pretty well for itself. It sold about 451,000 units. Uh, last year, which is up by 1.5 times compared to 300k in 2019. And 3.59, I mean, 5.9 million in retail dollars, which is up from 5.1 million in 2019. So pretty good sales. Well, I mean, it's interesting. They have more units sold, but in terms of like their retail sales, it's not as much of a jump as you'd think, which is interesting. But yeah, their best seller is still Attack on Titan, as mentioned before. Attack on Volume 1 sales are like triple from 2019 sales. Like it was 32k in 2020. It was only 2019. Uh, it was, in 2019 it was only 11k. So that, that's really interesting that I guess on the strength of the series ending in the final season, Volume 1 sales like tripled last year. So very, very interesting. But also strong for Gansha, like their number four best selling title last year was Volume 2 Attack on Titan. That was 17k. Uh, and then we had uh, Volume 30 was their number five best-selling title for them. And that was about, I think, 30K. Volume 31, no, I think that was also about 17K. Oh, oh that's, they all, all these other volumes were taking a place a little over 10K each. And so at number five, we have Volume 30, Volume 31. At number 10, we have Volume 3. At number 14, we have Volume 29. At number 15, we have Volume 23. So Attack on Titan has some very strong, like, 
volume sales, uh, a lot of volume selling over 10K for Canandra last year. And Canandra's second best title is Sailor Moon. Volume 1 just sells a little bit under 20K, which is up a little bit from 2019, where it had 15K in sales. And Volume 2 came in at number 11 for them, and that's a little bit over 10K in sales. Uh, the third best-selling title for Ganja was Fire Force. Volume 1 sold a bit under 20K, and Volume 2 comes a bit over 10K, and that ranked at number 12. Other titles doing well for Kanantra are Seven Deadly Sins. Volume 1 was their sixth bestseller last year with 14K in sales. Rent a Girlfriend. First one of that was their seventh bestseller, just under 14K in sales. Wodakoi Volume 1 was their eighth bestseller with 13K in sales. And Volume 4 was actually their 17th bestseller at about just under 10K in sales. Uh, Kira was their 13th bestseller, the first one of that, with a bit over 10K in sales. And the rest of the top 20. Uh, saw the Fairy Tale 100 Year Quest, Volume 1, just under 10,000 in sales, uh, coming in number 16. And Volume Stream, just a little bit over 9,000 sales, uh, coming in number 20. And then Windland Saga has, well, I'm doing just Volume 1, had like 9.5,000 in sales uh, last year, which is really cool to see that, you know, Windland Saga was a series that struggled at first when Contantra brought it over. Like, they were like begging people, like, hey, you gotta buy this, otherwise we're probably not gonna keep up with it. So it's really rewarding to see that now it is among the best selling titles. So that's really nice and rewarding to see Windland Saga do so well for them to be among, to have one of the first one of that be among their best sellers last year. But yeah, Contantra has a lot of strong sellers. Attack on Titan Volume 1 in particular sells over 30k, and then they have other books that sell over 10k. So they have pretty strong growth. Not as much as Viz, but pretty strong. Meanwhile, Yan Press has a couple different titles. They have also 20 titles that placed in the top 750 books sold last year for manga. And collectively, those are about 267,000 copies, which was like more than double the amount of copies they moved in 2019, where they only had 117,000 copies sold. And that is about a 3.9 calculated retail value, which is up from 2019 to 1.9 retail value. So yeah, that's pretty Great success for Yen, like pretty big jump for them in terms of growth. And uh, most of the growth really is driven by Taliban and Aquacon, which is four of their five best-selling spots. Uh, volume 1, we mentioned before, sells 48,000 copies. That's their number one best-selling book. But Volume 2 of Anakokon was their number two. That pulled in 28K, 1,000 copies sold. Uh, volume 3 was their number three. That came in just over 20K copies sold. Uh, volume 4 was their number 5 best book, that was 16k copies sold, and Volume 5 was their 8 best book, with 11k copies sold, and Volume 6 was just about 6.6 thousand copies sold, and number 18 for them. And then Yen's uh, other bestseller was Black Butler, that also is strong, with Volume 1 coming in at number 4 at about over 19k, which is pretty great growth from the 2019 sales, where it had about 13k in sales. And, uh, yeah, two other volumes also made the top 750 of manga last year, but none sold for more than 10k. And Kakiguru is also a big title for Yen. Volume 1 of that was their 6th best-selling title last year, with 15k in sales. Fruits Basket, Volume 1 was their 7th best-selling title, with 15k in sales. Volume 2 of Fruits Basket was their 12th best-seller, with 8.1k in sales. It beats you, Volume 1 was... Among their top 10, it was came at number 9 to 11k in sales. And their number 10 book was the first volume of their edition of Soul Eater. And that was just a bit under 10k in sales last year. So pretty strong sales for Yen. 
the number four best publisher on the market with Dark Horse, and they have 16 titles and top 750. Their combined sales uh, represent about 260,000 copies sold, which is up from 148,000 copies in 2019, and about a 7.2 million retail value, which is up from 4.2 million. So they had a really big gear last year, probably driven mostly by Berserk, which is their best-selling title, and has, of course, these pretty pricey high-cover versions, which help sales i'm sure and yeah their hardcover berserk that volume one was their best seller last year that had about thirty-three thousand copies sold and then volume two was their second best seller volume four was their third best seller those each sold about 20k volume five was their fourth best seller that sold about 17k and volume three was their sixth best seller with 14k and then volume six was their 10th best seller with about 8.7k and then the paperback of berserk that came in at number seven and that has like 14k sales. And then volume two of the paperback of Berserk came in at number 11 and that had 7.8k in sales. Besides Berserk, uh, Dark Horse is also doing very well with Danganronpa, where volume one was their fifth best selling title that had 15k in sales. And Danganronpa 2 in particular, because Danganronpa the animation volume one came in at number nine with 10k in sales. And Mod Psycho is also doing pretty good for them. Volume one of Mod Psycho came in at number eight for them last year. And had over 11k in sales so pretty strong uh sales for dark horse as well for their titles and then we have seven c's coming in at number five they have seven titles on the top 750 about 54,000 copies combined which is a pretty big gap between dark horse and seven c's but that uh, goes to show just kind of like the different scales between the jump from viz and then the next level with you know dark horse and yen and whatnot and then going down here to the seven seas but yeah they had 54k in sales uh which is actually a big drop for them that's like less than half of what they did in 2019 that was about 100k they had in 2019 so that's kind of interesting that where other publishers like had big sales increases like seven seas have like kind of a big drop in terms of representation at least in terms of representation in the top 750 and how those translate into calculated sales but yeah, their calculated value is just under a million at 993,000. Their biggest success, their biggest seller last year was I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. That sold about 11,000 copies last year, which was up from 9K in 2019. But they have no other title that passed 10K copies sold last year. But even so, like in terms of growth uh, their long, of their long tail, uh, in terms of how many units they moved, it's kind of the... It is somewhat their best year ever because they went from like having 1,000 listed items in 2019 to 1,200 listed items in 2020. But like in terms of the calculated retail, that's only about a $500,000 increase. And so actually the average sales per title are also about a thousand less. So sort of growth in one area, but a decline in another area. It's very interesting to see 7Cs didn't try quite as well as other publishers last year. But Vertical comes in at the sixth largest publisher for manga. They had five books in the top 750. They moved 35,000 copies uh, for 138,000 sales, which uh, is not so much different from what they did in 2019. Their best seller is Doitori Nagatora Volume 2. It's interesting, Volume 2 is their best seller, not Volume 1. But that sold about 8.5,000 copies. 
And um, rounding off in terms of manga publishers, Square Enix had some titles in the top 750. Their Soul Eater edition uh, came in at about 8.7 thousand copies. And Amanda's and Cat actually did pretty well for them. That had 6.6 thousand copies. So I think like we're definitely seeing, you know, certain publishers thrive more than others last year. Like manga as a whole did grow, but some publishers I think we saw benefit way more than others. Uh, which is very interesting, especially in the case of Seven Seas, which is such a curious example of like how they didn't necessarily benefit from the growth last year. And I really wonder why that was the case. But yeah, I mean, if we want to like compare the manga publishers to how they stack up against like the rest of the comics industry, Wiz Media comes in at the second biggest comics publisher in North America with a very narrow margin between it and Scholastic. Scholastic is number one with 95.6 like million in sales, but Viz had 94.8 million sales. So such a narrow gap. Like Viz, very close to being like the highest selling comics publisher in the market last year. So again, Viz did extremely well in 2020. But Dark Horse, I mean, this doesn't just include their manga, but also their other comics. That They come in at number four with 31.5 million sold last year. Kodansha is in the top five with 21.3 million in sales last year. So they did pretty well. Uh, the Hachette Book Group, which includes Yen Press, comes in at number six with 20 million in sales. So not shabby for Yen Press either. And then Seven Seas, uh, even if they didn't have as much gold as others, they still make the top uh, 25-ish here because they came in at number 14 with 9.9 million in sales. Vertical comes in at at number 17 with 3.2 million in sales. And some other uh, publishers that publish uh, manga, uh, Fantagraphics, Graphics, they came in at number 19 with 2.9 million in sales. And Drawn Quarterly came in at number 23 with 2 million in sales. In general, like comics as a market did extremely well last year. Manga as a whole did extremely well, but yeah, like Viz clearly saw the greatest benefits. They reaped the most rewards and they were so close to being the highest selling publisher in the market last year, which is pretty crazy that they rivaled Scholastic in sales and could nearly overtook them. The, the margin between them is so narrow. That's so interesting. But yeah, a lot of really interesting sales data, a lot of interesting kind of analysis to take from this in terms of what titles did really well last year, what are some trends of what titles are doing really well, what publishers are thriving, what are some that are not as much. It's it's so interesting, these comic beat reports. I really want to thank Brian for doing all this great work of like compiling this and being so extensive and looking through this data. I think it's a really cool measuring gauge. It's not a com- you know a complete overview, of course. It's not completely comprehensive because it doesn't account for online sales it only accounts for like retailers that are within the sphere of what the book scan kind of reports from and takes like their sales data from so it is leaving out other channels but like i think it is a really good measuring gauge of like how certain publishers are doing how certain series are doing what sales are like and i think we can conclude for that manga doing really really well extremely well but yeah it's very very interesting but we still have some other industry-related news to talk about, including a big one that we've been following the story for a long time, and that is the acquisition of Crunchyroll by Sony through Funimation, which has indeed been completed as of earlier this August. 
The Funimation Global Group has completed their acquisition of Crunchyroll from AT&T for about $1.175 billion, which is quite a lot less than what AT&T, I think, was expecting uh, for Crunchyroll. But still, you know, it'll help them reduce their debt a little bit. And yeah. So, you know, uh, kind of a monopoly. Not, you know, the two biggest brands in anime licensing are now kind of under the same roof. So that's a lot of titles that are now under Sony's umbrella. And so we'll have to see how that's going to pan out in terms of like, you know, we do have other big players in the market, like with Netflix and Amazon. And we still have, you know, folks like... Uh, discotech and uh sentai so you know and sentai has their own streamer too but you know funimation and control are like kind of the biggest curators of traffic and licensing so it is going to be interesting to have like them like have the majority stake in this industry in terms of the north american market now and Funimation, uh, on their blog, announced kind of plans to kind of merge the apps or something like yeah apparently it seems that they're going to be kind of folded into one, the Funimation app and the Crunchyroll app, which I guess makes sense in terms of the library. It seems that the technology uh, employed at Crunchyroll will be carried over because they have acquired Worv as a part of this acquisition. So that means like kind of, there might just be the naming or the just the, the rights to the platform, but I'm hoping the technology behind the platform also carries over because it, you know, it's not faultless, but Crunchyroll and Word are generally less buggy, more functional platforms than Funimation. So if they are going to fold into one, I hope they follow those models more than Funimation's current model necessarily. But yeah, I assume, I think it'll take some time for us to see like this merger of the different apps and the, the catalogs come into effect. But the deal has happened. The acquisition has been made of animation and virtual married once again. Now it become one fused together. So. Uh, we will have to see how that's going to pan out for this industry. And hopefully uh, a lot of people at Crunchyroll and Verb and Elation Journal aren't going to really lose their jobs over this. That's my biggest fear. I hope uh, there aren't any layoffs that are going to happen because of this. But uh, we'll hope for the best. And we'll hope and wait and see. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to shake out. Um, I don't necessarily want to like doomsday too much, but like my friend actually, uh, he sent me over this link and I'm not sure how reputable this is admittedly, but apparently there are rumors that like, apparently Disney wants to buy out Sony just so they can own the Spider-Man characters, I guess. That'd be very stupid. I don't think that, (sighs) first of all, I don't think Sony is, is, needs to be bought out from what I remember. I don't think Sony's in a bad spot financially necessarily. I think they're doing pretty okay for themselves. Like, I mean, I don't... There's there's so many anti-trust, anti-monopoly things that I would have to go into, like, interfering with a merger of Disney and Sony at this point, especially since Disney, after the Disney-Fox merger. Like, that's just too much consolidation, too much... uh, so i i don't know that's gonna happen i could you know and i don't i'm i do think that like disney definitely wants an opportunity to get an exclusivity to spider-man again but like i don't think they're gonna go through the effort of buying all of sony just for that uh it's Probably not like not, fox no. or like fox was like struggling and so 
Yeah, it kind of makes sense to kill a lot of birds with one stone to get not just the remaining rights to the X-Men or whatever, but also, like, Fox had a huge content library that Disney benefited from buying that up. But um, that's true for Sony, too, but I don't think Sony's is in that place financially that they need to be bought up by Disney. In fact, Disney themselves are not necessarily doing that great right now because the parks have been closed, so they're also not necessarily in position i don't think to make that kind of big a purchase uh if, even if they could so yeah I, I would throw suspicion on that rumor but um no same yeah i mean i kind of thought it was baseless too but like it does like stoke a fear that i have that like decades from now disney is just gonna own everything including anime you know yeah i mean disney is in, is investing in their own anime with the star wars show and whatnot but that's um, true yeah but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't, I do think we should be worried about monopolies because we are losing yeah. like different, uh, factions in the entertainment landscape. They are all consolidating. There are less and less studios, curators of this content. And so the more of a monopoly is starting to, can be starting to form here. Uh, and that is not great for the consumer and it's not great for creators in terms of getting new work out no, there. No, yeah. Cause, uh, with less opportunities, less avenues to create work and uh, bring over work, that's like, you know, uh, less opportunities for that work to get made and stuff like that. Less and less titles uh, will get made. More and more funds will get into get put into those less and less titles. So not great for the media landscape if that happens. Um, I don't think like this Crunchyroll Funimation merger, merger is a, like catastrophic for uh, the anime industry as it was as the Disney Fox merger was for the entertainment industry in terms of scope in terms of uh, the consequence but um you know it's also something that's not set necessarily like a a great thing that the two biggest names in the market the two biggest competitors are now one and at least there are other independent platforms out there but you know to have most of anime that comes out now kind of be channeled through one company uh, especially since Sony produces so much anime on their own, too, is something to be a little wary of. But uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how this shakes out for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now we'll talk about kind of some personnel shakeups of some companies. And let's talk about Media Doe because they have hired Bet Kawasaki as their new executive director of content and marketing. And Kawasaki previously worked at Wiz and Ucrate and animation in executive roles and she's going to be overseeing the company's content strategy and their uh, growth initiatives and it's going to try and expand a global portfolio and distribution infrastructure so this is kind of interesting i feel like we haven't uh, touched in on media in a while but of course they've been doing a lot of like translations and stuff like with baki and whatnot so i'm kind of curious to see like with Kawasaki, you know, someone who used to be at Wiz now coming into this role, like how that might expand, like the types of titles they license or types of work they'll be doing as contractors for other uh, com- publishers or companies. So very, very curious to see what this will lead to for MediaDo. I'm also very interested in, in seeing what Jason DeMarco is being appointed as the senior vice president of anime and action at Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network Studios is going to lead to. Jason, of course, uh, the creator of Tanami, executive at Adult Swim for so many years now. Like, yeah, this is a huge big role for him uh, to be assigned to get to oversee, like, 
Warner Brothers like independent anime and action series, not just for Adult Swim, but for HBO Max and Cartoon Network too. And that's so exciting. Uh, he's still at Adult Swim. He's still reporting San Francisco. He's still in charge of Nami and all that. But yeah, this is like a huge, huge uh, role for Jason to be assigned to and will lead to, I'm sure, some really cool things because DeMarco's also been creative executive on so many shows already, including like, you know, the upcoming Lord of the Rings uh, movie. So, yeah, like a lot of exciting stuff uh, I think this can lead to, especially considering how passionate Jason is and how much experience he has working with producers in Japan, working with companies in Japan to get shows made. And now also with his passion for action animation, like he can, you know, oversee the production of so many cool new animated shows and even DC action animated shows he can oversee, which is really cool. So, yeah, I think this is super exciting and I I'm really look forward to the kind of stuff that Warner Brothers uh, Studios is going to create with DeMarco helming their action, animation, and anime initiatives. Mm-hmm. Really excited to see what comes out of this, yeah. Now we're going to touch on somewhat of a controversy or somewhat of a, an interesting thing that happened recently is that, you know, uh, manga creator Makino recently cut ties, terminated her contract with Futakia over complaints that they did not send them important reports and fulfill payment obligations even when she made inquiries to them at the end of June. And then that affected her mental health and it is just leading to, you know, kind of a bad state of being for her. So she just decided to terminate her contract. And we're friends with Emma. We appreciate and champion Shuitakia, but we do hope that creators are being treated well uh, by mm-hmm. companies and services like Fantasia. And so... You know, we this is a story to pay attention to to see if like if other creators have similar criticisms in the future. And uh, it's just unfortunate that you know there seem to be some communication issues, uh, and Fantasista kind of let this artist down in a way that really hurt her. And you know, I think she was totally in her rights to terminate her contract with them. And then, yeah, I mean, hopefully they can. At the very least, if not try and make amends with her, learn for this and uh, do better with other creators in the future. No, seriously. Yeah, this isn't super cool. Um, I'm really hoping for the best for them. Yeah. And more upbeat news. Uh, we talked a lot about how well Junji Ito is doing. And that is also true in terms of getting critical accolades because Junji Ito for Remina won the best U.S. edition of International Material Asia Award. And that's not the only award he won at the iTunes because he also won the best writer artist award for Remina and Weedus in the Blind Spot. Ooh. So, you know, Junji Ito's Remina competed against a lot of like Pretty big titles, pretty good titles in the best U.S. edition of International Material category last year. And of course, he's up against a lot of pretty good writers in the Best Writer Artist Award. So yeah, really cool to see some good accolades for Ito at the Eisners. Now, I did see some criticisms of people like saying, oh man, is Ito just going to become like their go-to if they want to give an award to a mangaka? 
And I feel like, you know, I think Ito deserves the awards, but yeah, like if the, we can pay attention to see the Isers are just going to default to him in the future, or, you know, award like uh, other creators too, because there were like uh, some really great other works that also got nominated and were also have been deserving, but I think Ito's work was deserving. And uh, I think it's just nice to see him get such cool critical attention and like two awards of the Eisners. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Like Ito obviously does great work and he, he deserves accolades, but it is also one of those things where it's like, man, I hope we don't just give awards to the same people every year, you know? Exactly. We already get enough of that with stuff like the Oscars and everything. Like, award shows sometimes are just, they're, yeah, they're exhausting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next, we've got some cool movie news. First being that Ghost in the Shell, the original 1995 film by Moroshi, is going to be getting 4K and IMAX screenings in both US and Japan simultaneously next month starting on September 17th. That is really exciting. Uh, it's been a while since seeing Ghost in the Shell in the theater. Last time was about 2017 when uh, that live action movie came out. They screened the original film around that same time. So yeah, to see Ghost in the Shell in 4K and on IMAX, that's something I totally will jump at the chance if it plays in my area. Like I love to see it on the big screen again. Like I own the film and everything, but you know, the chance to see that film on the big screen, like it's just so gorgeous. I would love to do it again, and especially like an IMAX or 4K quality. So that's super exciting. Uh, hopefully, you know, the screening dates get put up soon because if it's going to come in September, it's pretty close away. So, yeah, I would love to see listings go for, up for that soon and hopefully I can get a chance to watch it. I'm also hoping listings come up soon for Funimation's uh, release of the Knights of Sidonia Love Open the Stars film that's going to come out in U.S. theaters September 13th. That's going to screen both subbed and dubbed and to commemorate the release of this Funimation actually added Knights of Sidonia to their service uh, earlier this month so if you've been missing it on Netflix now it's on Funimation so you can revisit it there in anticipation of the new film and yeah like I am keen to catch this new Knights of Sidonia film I really love enjoyed the series back in the day like the manga and the anime too like I, th- I think the anime is a really good adaptation of the manga so yeah i'm curious to see the film like it looks interesting I'm definitely interested in returning to these characters and world so very excited for it hopefully this listings go up soon so i can uh, make sure to get my ticket but yeah i mean speaking of uh netflix related news we got and some announcements for some new uh shows that uh, netflix is producing and colton i guess you can lead off this one yeah sure uh i mean I know you're probably really excited for this one, but I just wanted to talk about this real quick, that apparently Netflix is going to be premiering JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6 Stone Ocean Worldwide this December. Uh, Apparently, it's going to be up on Netflix first, and then uh, it's going to start airing in Japan a little after, which is really, really wild to think about. I think we were all kind of talking over in our personal discords about like how much they're going to put up at first. And I think we came to the conclusion that they're going to start putting up like maybe like the first batch and then we'll maybe get another batch like a little later, possibly. I think that's what's going to happen. I, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see like when December comes. But I mean, like 
I, I do feel sorry for the people who, like, maybe were looking forward to, like, an airing on Toonami. Now, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. But, I mean, I, I think it says a lot about where JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is now as a franchise over in North America that uh, Netflix thought it was worth it to basically snack up exclusivity rights for Part 6 in particular. That's That's really wild to think about. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen the teaser for part six, but honestly, I'm, I haven't read the part six manga, so I know very little about what to expect, but I mean, I've, I've heard so many great things about Jolene as a character, and I know a lot of people love her, and I know that I, Farouz, uh, the actor portraying Jolene for this adaptation is, uh, I know is going to do good work considering, uh, she is a lifelong JoJo's fan and has basically made it her life goal to voice Jolene. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think, I think part six is going to turn out very good. So I'm, I'm really excited to start watching this on Netflix as soon as it's up. Absolutely. Like part six is my favorite part. Jolene is my favorite JoJo. I think it's a great story. The trailer looks awesome. I'm very, very excited for it. Jolene's theme sounds pretty cool so far. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I can't wait to listen to that on repeat, just like I have with, with Golden Wind's main theme. Um, but, yeah, no, this is exciting, and I, I really can't wait to watch it. I also have to finish up... Um, for some reason, I'm not done with uh, the, the Rohan anime that came out. I, I, I've been watching that really slowly, even though it's like four episodes. I need to finish that up before this comes out. That, that's been very good, too. Yeah, speaking of Netflix stuff, this one, this next one's pretty big. I'm, I'm just going to leave this to you. Yeah, Netflix is producing a live-action Pokemon series. And hmm. that's going to be executive produced uh, by Joe Henderson, who is the executive producer of Netflix's Lucifer series. He'll also be going to help writing it. So, yeah, live-action Pokemon, another attempt to do that at Netflix. That seems pretty cool. Like, uh, because that director Pikachu, I think that turned out really, really well. And so, yeah, I think Pokemon can work in live-action. I'm curious to see what Netflix does with it. And, yeah, I think I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, as, as long as the series turns out to be, like, sort of in the similar vein of Detective Pikachu, I, I think it'll turn out well, personally. Yeah. Now, we have some other an anime announcement news to look into. First, uh, this is a manga we talked about a little recently when I got licensed, but Police in a Pod is getting an anime next year in 2022. And yeah, I bet that's the reason why Kodansha decided to license it. But, you know, I'm curious to check it out and see how it is. Like, they got a trailer up for it and everything. It looks pretty well animated. I think stylistically it probably will look better than the early parts of the manga. So yeah, I'm curious to check it out. And on the subject of police-related anime, Detective Conan is getting an anime adaptation of the wild police story spin-off manga that focuses on Amro and some of his uh, companions in the police academy. And so that's getting a spin-off anime probably to tie in with the movie next year that's also going to be related to that. It's going to have elements of that in the movie. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. So I wonder how long it'll be or whether it's really just an arc in the series, but it seems to be like it's going to get its own TV anime. And it's a short manga too, so it'll probably flesh things out or something, but yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that animated, and the Orient TV anime is going to also come out in 2022, so another cool thing to look forward to as well, because Orient, you know, Otaka's a great artist, but 
yeah, like definitely would love to see her work in anime. Though I've heard the studio, unfortunately, is not known for being one of the best. So fingers crossed it does turn out well, but it may also turn out to be kind of a more stilted affair, unfortunately. Which, uh, yeah, that'd be a shame if true, but what can you do? But I'm also really looking forward to another adaptation of Morimi's uh, novels, Tomohiki Morimi, and this is the sequel to the Atomic Galaxy, even. Yes, the Atomic Galaxy sequel novel is getting an anime, Tommy Time Machine Blues, is going to be done by Science Starro, directed by Shingo Natsume. So, yeah, and Nakamura Yusuke is returning as character designer, and Makoto Ueda returns as a script writer from Tommy Galaxy. So, yeah, a Tommy Galaxy sequel anime. That's going to be so exciting. I really like Murumi's works. I really love the anime adaptations of his work, so I'm super excited for this. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in seeing if, like, Funimation will pick this up in particular. Um, then again, I, I'm really, really curious as to, like, how well Tatami Galaxy does for them. I mean, I guess considering the fact that they released it on at least, like, a sub-only Blu-ray release, I believe, like, I imagine at least, like, did well enough for them, like, maybe views up, up on that, like, built over time. I don't know. I'm I'm really interested in, like, how well it's done for them overall. Mm-hmm. And to see if that, like, I guess it constitutes them maybe bringing this over. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but here, so I want to talk about this next one because I'm, again, I'm sure we both are very excited for this, but, uh... I'm I'm especially li- really looking forward to this. That we have more info on the upcoming slam dunk anime movie, and uh, we recently got another teaser for it. Not much to talk about there in particular, but it seems like the Takahiko Inoue himself is personally overseeing the direction of this film and writing the script. So I already have a lot of faith in this. Uh, I mean, I-, I was I was pretty hopeful that it was going to like turn out pretty good at least, but. It does make me feel better about, even better about this movie that, like, Inoue himself is going to be pretty heavily involved in this. And from what I could tell from some of the staff, it looks like it's going to be in really good hands. Like, I'm I'm really expecting this movie to be super, super good. Like, I have really high expectations for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with Inoue at the helm. Like, I am really excited. I think it's going to be a wonderful treat for fans when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should also mention, it looks like this is being slated for a fall 2022 release. So hopefully by this time next year, probably we'll uh, we'll be able to watch the new Slam Dunk movie. And I don't know, maybe we'll even get like a North American release for this. I, I would really love to see this in a theater. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That'd be so awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess from there, we can move on to uh, some live action stuff. And uh I guess the the big one here that we're going to talk about is that apparently both Variety and Deadline reported that Shinsuke Sato uh, will be directing uh, Legendary's Hollywood live action adaptation of My Hero Academia. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, Shinsuke Sato has directed a lot of like, you know, Netflix live action stuff, including the live action Bleach movie, uh, the live action Alice in Borderland, the live action uh, Kingdom movie. Gantz, I Am a Hero, Death Note, Light Up the New World, all kinds of stuff. And yeah, I, I can't say that I've seen a lot of Sato's works. I have, and I think that he does a great job in translating manga into live action. Like, I think, especially if we want to make comparison to MHA, like, Bleach is live action, but it's done pretty well. 
I think, as well as Kingdom. And uh, so I think that with I think it was very smart of uh, them to hire like a Japanese director who's experienced in translating kind of more fantasy type manga or manga with kind of like uh, more like unreal elements into live action successfully. Like someone who's experienced doing that, attaching them to direct MHA. So that makes me very curious, very interested to see how this will play out now. Mm, interesting. See, I feel like I remember trying out the live action Bleach movie, and I don't know if I really see. See, that that's a weird thing because I tried it. I don't remember liking it, but maybe I should like try it again. Out of all these, Kingdom was the one that like I really wanted to see, especially after you and Vlork got to see it and we're like really talking it up. Kingdom was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's available at all yet. You can get it from home video for Funimation. Okay, see, I didn't know that. I'll have to look into that. Um, see, that really sucked because, like, I don't think a screening popped up in my area, so I couldn't go see it. And uh, I've also heard good things about Alice in Borderland. I hear that's been a pretty good show so far. So, like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this turns out. I'm going to say I'm pretty cautiously optimistic about this in particular. Like, I want to say that hopefully it won't be, like, hilariously bad or whatever. I mean, there's a chance it could be. You never know. The track record for live action adaptations of anime especially but mostly hollywood adaptations i don't think have a very good track record personally but like considering uh who they have on for this project and the fact that like like this looks like a pretty collaborative effort on both uh america and japan especially seeing as how like toho's going to be distributing this as well like you know i'm 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 pretty hopeful that like this will at least turn out to be okay like i'm i'm open to this being good you know like i'm yeah i'm just i'm just excited to see how this will turn out uh that'll be really interesting to keep an eye out for i'm definitely more hopeful for it now that sato has been attached as director because of his track record experience doing these kind of adaptations oh yeah i guess we should probably also mention that apparently uh the editor for my hero academia ryosuke yoritomi is going to be overseeing the project as far as like shueisha side goes mm-hmm. um which again you know i'm i'm glad that shueisha is taking steps to like you know actually care about how their properties are presented unlike with dragon ball evolution you know because i i know they're pretty involved in they're involved in this, and I know they've been involved in, like, the One Piece live-action show that's supposed to be coming out eventually. So I'm glad that they're being a little more collaborative with these live-action projects. Like, I, I I, really think they want to produce something that'll end up being better than Dragon Ball Evolution. The, 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 the bar is very low on, like, how much worse things can get, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll pan out. I, I mean, at least I'm interested in seeing the film. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. To wrap up our new anime announcements, it was announced that a new Digimon anime is coming out this fall. I mean, the current Digimon Adventure reboot anime has been going on for kind of a long time. I was wondering when it would wrap up, but it will seemingly end by the fall and be replaced by this new Digimon Ghost Game TV show, which uh, I guess the Digimon in the series will be like holograms or ghosts. So that's kind of interesting. But also interesting is that they're making a Digimon Adventure 02 film. And so the team from Kizuna, same director, Tomisa Taguchi and Agatsuki Yamatoya return in to direct this film. So yeah, I think it's kind of nice that they're going to tell uh, 
basically a nice finale for the O2 cast or like kind of a, a nice send off tribute to them because we got that one for the original Avenger crew in the Kizuna movie. So I guess now the O2 crew will also have one. So that's kind of nice. And uh, it seems like in the tease original though, like it's like Daisuke and uh, kind of a new Digimon kind of being born. So that's kind of interesting. So yeah, the teaser visual like, has this excess where he's like, this new movie is about O2, now the door to the adventure opens on the first person to ever partner with a Digimon. So that's also kind of an interesting angle. So yeah, I'm curious to see how this will turn out. Like the O2 characters were kind of really neglected in Try and Kizuna, so I'm kind of nice to see that, oh hey, now it's their turn to get some spotlight. That's nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to this film. Now another Digimon-related news, though... Uh, there's this big kind of surprising weird hullabaloo uh, where Chiaka J. Kanaka kind of outed himself as like some oh, weird conspiracy theorist believing guy uh, because in this stage play he wrote for the 20th anniversary show for Digimon Tamers, uh, the script he wrote for it was like really politically charged and the villain of the stage play was political correctness who <laughs> attacks the heroes using cancel culture um so yeah it's uh it's very sad to see kanaka has fallen into these like conspiracy theories believing guys like james corbett who say factually wrong things about COVID-19 and 9-11 and make up all these conspiracies and stuff like that. And then he's also fallen into like this weird anti-PC stance that he's put into Digimon for this celebration stage play. It's so strange, so weird. And it's very disappointing because Kanaka has written a lot of great stuff like Digimon Tamers, like Big O and Ceremon Parents Lane. So uh, that is unfortunate to see him been out as just someone who has kind of fallen into like conspiracy theorist hole of like kind of these, again, anti-vaccination, like anti anti-pc kind of alt-rightish political takes so that is uh unfortunate yeah it's really weird considering how like you mentioned this guy also wrote serial experiments lane and you know i i haven't watched it in a while so i don't know maybe it doesn't hold up you never know but i remember the first time i watched it i was like man this is like a really i don't know like i just i just remember feeling like oh man this actually like, I feel like has something to say about, like, the internet and, like, how it affects us. Yeah, I mean, all Kanaka's work, in some way, it, this floors our relationship with technology and especially with the rise of the internet, how we can lose ourselves in virtual worlds. So it's kind of ironic that, you know, he is now bought into something that he seems worn against in stuff like Lane of, like, believing kind of this alternate reality that is kind of being concocted in this virtual space that differs so greatly from actual physical reality so that's yeah, a uh, very disappointing yeah it's just really weird how some things turn out i don't know it's just it's just really weird to see him like take on views that are like you know like the complete opposites of like the stuff he's written that are usually like so nuanced and everything it's i don't know it's just it's just really weird Mm-hmm. I mean, Kanaka did respond to the backlash, uh, specifically from overseas fans, and apologize uh, in some ways for using controversial words and saying that he didn't want to 
condemn anyone necessarily. Okay. But then he doubled down as like, he's feeling like the mass media is excluding alternative journalists, quote unquote, and uh, stuff like that. So it's kind of like a half, it wasn't really apology so much like him defending like his stance. And then trying to back up false claims about COVID-19 and believing that SARS-CoV-2 has not been isolated segregated when in fact has. So, you know, it's just unfortunate uh, Kanaka has just fallen into this hole. I feel sorry for anyone who's like specifically a fan of Digimon Tamers in particular. Uh, Look, I I haven't really dabbled in Digimon in probably over a decade at this point. But, like, I was in this weird middle ground where, like, you know, I, I, it was just, like, so weird and bizarre. I couldn't help but laugh. But also, like, man, yeah, again, I just I, I feel sorry for Tabor's fans. Like, they don't they don't deserve this. Yeah, <laughs> this he wrote this play for a 20th anniversary, like, special stage play live show. Like, this was supposed to be a celebration of Digimon. And then he turned it into this, like, anti political correctness rant also you said he said he didn't want to like condemn anybody and it's like i i don't know about i don't know if i really believe that yeah (laughs) i i I feel like that's the exact opposite of what you actually wanted to do you know yeah it is strange and very sad but we'll wrap up our episode our report on news with a popularity poll to have a fun little wrap up and this is viz's dragon ball super popularity poll and once again viz i don't like their popularity poll system of like they only have like 25 options that ends up excluding significant characters so there's no piccolo on this piccolo is not an option you can vote for wow uh so but not just that there are Definitely popular characters from Super, uh, from the last arc even, that they did not include on this, that are like huge oversights, like no Maris. Like, Maris was one of the most popular characters from the Moro arc, but he was not included in here. Uh, there's no Jiren or Kale or Kalafla, no Top, so I don't... They really need to expand the amount of options you can vote for in these popularity bowlers. Or at least they need to include a write-in option. So if they do miss a character, you can write in the character like you want to vote for. Because like there are some characters they included here. Like I guess they were in the series more recently. But I is is people really going to vote for the Oracle Fish more than Miris? No, I don't think so. And more than Jacko? I mean, Jocko was in, I mean, Jack, yeah, Jocko was included. And yes, they did. It, ironically, Oracle was voted more than Jocko. That's a crime. I don't accept that. Yeah, it is actually strange <laughs> that the Oracle Fish got as many votes over. We don't know how many votes he got over Jocko, but it is strange he was ranked. He ranks over Jocko in future mind. But yeah, to go over the top 10, because uh, it, it's kind of nice. The number one here. Uh, but yeah, number 10 was Curran. Nine was Frieza. Eight was Android 17. Seven was Whis. Six was Beerus. Five was Future Trunks. Four was Goku Black. And then three was Gohan. Two was Goku. Yeah, Goku was not number one. No, Vegeta came out on top. Fans voted Vegeta as their favorite Dragon Ball Super character. And I would agree because Vegeta's characterization and development in Super is one of its strongest parts. So I think he definitely yeah. deserves that spot. So there you go. Vegeta has come out on top over Goku for once. Uh, some other notable placements of like characters, especially super only characters like Granola, the antagonist, the most recent arc, or 
anti-hero route of the recent arc. He comes in at number 11. Moro, the antagonist of the previous arc, comes in at number 12. Zamas came in at number 14. Kaba came in at number 16. And then basically all the villains from this current arc uh, are lingering at the bottom from 21 to 25. So there you go there. Um, and then it's interesting that Android 18 uh, did get a pretty good place with number 13, and Chi Chi actually got a pretty good place with number 15 over Bulma and number 17, so that's kind of a surprise, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I think Vegeta coming in number one is pretty fun, uh, but this is probably the most disappointed I've been with one of their popularity polls in just in the, how they set it up, because again, how do you not include characters like Piccolo that you know are one of the most popular Dragon Ball characters? And then how do you not include significant characters from Super that are clearly popular, like Miris? Like, it's just so strange to me. Maybe somebody at Viz doesn't like Piccolo. I mean, maybe, but I know there are people... <laughs> I know people who work on Super, uh, the people who work on Super liked Miris, and so that makes me so surprised that he did not get included as an option, so... You know, very strange. Yeah, come on. Put in a write-in option at the very least. Like, I don't know why that's not an option on these polls. Yeah. And they're doing one for Vigilantes now that will probably have the results out by the time you're seeing this. And at least with that, uh, there aren't as many characters necessarily in Vigilantes. So looking through it, I didn't feel they're like super noticeable omissions. But, you know, for a series like Dragon Ball with so many characters, you gotta make sure there are more than 25 options at least have the right and option to account for characters you'll miss but that about is it for news for this episode and we'll wrap up with community shout outs now we didn't talk about the bleach one shot on this podcast but we will talk about it in a future podcast but if you're interested in hearing people's thoughts about the bleach one shot and you know people theorizing on the new plot developments what could happen in the future I will direct you to a few good pods on it. Like Teching 101 did a great video on the one shot, like an hour, 20 minute video, like going through it, you know, in detail, you know, commenting on the beats of the chapter as well as theorizing, oh, what could this mean? Here are connections to previous things in the story. Here are like implications of where it could go in the future. And it was really nice to see Teching return to reviewing Bleach. Teching got a start really focusing on Bleach reviews. And it's been like five years since, of course, Bleach ended and he did his last review. So it was, it was a real nice kind of almost nostalgic return to see Tekken return to the world of Bleach. And uh, hopefully there will be more Bleach installments for him to also keep doing it because it was a lot of fun to see him return and discuss Bleach again. And of course, Tekken was also on the latest Weekly Mario Run Cop where they talked about the Bleach one shot too. And they also had a fun discussion together. And of course, Nick was vindicated by the fact that yes, Unahana is dead, but there is the implication that she will be coming back and so the eight-year-old meme on the show has finally been paid off and that is really nice that was very funny very funny discussion of the chapter very good discussion so definitely check that out and our good friend zach from utri shelf and his uh podcast cohort callum on the on their between the shelves pod recently did a discussion of the chapter on their uh, podcast as well as doing a big retrospective on their thoughts and feelings on bleach as a whole because bleach is Callum's for manga and they talked about like what their favorite characters were favorite storylines uh how they feel like thousand year blood war kind of gets more flack than it really should and they actually really like a lot of it and uh, it was a really nice discussion of what they really enjoyed about bleach and things they appreciate about it 
Now, if you want uh, some good bleach chatter, check that out as well. For more pods to check out, Fena Pirate Princess has recently started up, and the Tanami Fateful podcast crew has started their own spin-off podcast to cover new episodes of Fena called the Fena Cast, and you can catch that on the Tanami Fateful podcast feed. And so, yeah, on the, for the first episode, they reviewed the first two episodes of Fena, talked about what's working for them about the show, what they're really liking, some of the things they aren't jiving with so far, mainly like the character of Yuki Mura, like the male lead, and how he's kind of a jerk to Fena and stuff like that, but also like how fun a protagonist Fena is and how she's uh, really likable and so there's a lot of things to look forward to in the show and be interested in and so I think it's a good discussion of the show so far and I'm interested in in, uh, following the show and following their thoughts on the podcast as it goes on now on the subject of video essays I want to turn your attention back to Mr. Fusion who recently did a video on the part of Dragon Ball uh, where you know Mr. Satan meets up with Boo and they strike a friendship and he describes how that's like the best part of the boo arc for him and it kind of is just reveals so many interesting layers about boo and mr satan's characters and their relationship really elevates both characters into something really great and how like mr satan fighting the gunmen that shoot b and then later him is probably like his favorite action moment in the entire arc because of how rooted in character and character development it is and how much emotion is in that moment and i think it's a really great analysis of what has always been my favorite part of that arc and two of my favorite characters and what makes the relationship so fun and special so i think it's a great analysis great video on that and then uh, we talked about jojolian theorizing where it'll go and where jojo will go in part nine and stuff and hamon beat uh, did a great review of the final chapter of jojolian and then sprung off of that speculate about like the implications of the final surgery story and where that could lead in part nine like where the series will go what could be in the store in the future and so I think that's a great video if you're like, you know, really interested in thinking about, okay, well, what will Jojo Lands be about? Like, here, I think that uh, Holland Beat does some really good work in outlining a few cool ideas for where the story could go next. And similarly, we talked about Stone Ocean on this podcast, and there was a great piece published on Ian Enrysley by Sebastian Stoddard on why Stone Ocean could be the most important part of JoJo yet, describing of like how significant it is Jolene was the first female lead of JoJo's and a female lead of a Shonen Jump series of an environment where there was so much apprehension against that to the point where Araki's editor was like, is trying to make him make Jolene a male lead, but Araki refused and like that. Because it's precisely because readers wouldn't accept Jolene usually why it was so important for him to write the story with Jolene as the lead with a female lead and make it so that readers would accept that. And so like that was such a trailblazing uh choice and decision in that way for Rocky to do. And that's also special as well as it's special that the main trio of the series are all female characters and how rare that is in shonen manga, uh, especially a Jordan Jump manga, and how really great that is and why that could be, you know, even with this adaptation of a 20-year-old manga, why that could also be the start of a cool new trend of more action titles starting women getting more adaptations into anime and that could be great. But also a, a discussion of, like, you know, in terms of its place in the story and what it results in terms of uh, developing JoJo's themes and its narrative arcs, why Stone Ocean is just kind of the ultimate culmination of all that and why it's such an important part of JoJo's in that way and just how exciting it is that Stone Ocean is finally getting adapted, which I wholeheartedly agree with. And I thought it was a very fantastic article outlining a lot of feelings I have about Stone Ocean and why I think it's so special. 
Speaking of articles that go into really great representation of women in traditionally male-dominated genres, I thought that Marina Linz wrote a great piece for Anime Feminist recently exploring the female baseball players in Major Second and how well the series does in exploring a team full of different female characters and showcasing their growth and development in the sport equally and as much prominence, if not more so, than the male characters. The fact that the team in Major Second is primarily composed of women like the women in the team outnumber the men like two to one so it's like that it's very special in that way to see like a major sports race especially a series that is like the sequel to a legacy a title like major puts so much emphasis on its female characters and especially female athletes and their journeys and their narrative arcs and showing them off in competition not trying away from some problems that that you know women even in real life face in sports but also like still showcasing their growth and showcasing their capability and like just developing them so well as characters and that's something that's always been something that i really appreciate about major second and always made me so excited about it and i think this was a really wonderful uh analysis and tribute to that so definitely check it out and hopefully that makes it check out major second too i definitely want to dive back into it after reading this article because I so a lot of the stuff that they describe is just so cool and so refreshing. And recently, Haiku finally released its final print volume here in North America as of earlier this month. And Ray, who you know edited the series, wrote a really wonderful tribute to Haiku on this blog. You know, as the editor who has been with it for the beginning, describing what they loved about the series, what it was like working on uh, the initial publication of it on the bi-monthly release, as well as putting the chapters in the app originally, and then like uh, how rewarding it has been seeing the characters grow and seeing how the journey of Hinata and all the crew have developed and like just some of the really great highlights at the final arc that just showcase the culmination of these characters journey and their growth and their relationships with each other and what all in all makes Haikyuu such a special series that is worth really checking out and definitely like makes it a modern classic which I think is just very beautifully written I think definitely comes just from great point place of heart from Ray's part that I know they really love that have championed the series for so much and so long and yeah I thought uh, it was a really great tribute piece that I definitely recommend you checking out and then finally on the subject of retrospectives my final shout out this week is actually uh to promote Jared Bauer's new YouTube channel Jared was the founder of Wisecrack and he left the platform last year uh, and he recently came back with his uh, new YouTube channel. He hasn't made too many new videos yet. It's going to be more of a freeform thing for him. But he did a live stream uh, a few weeks ago where he outlined like kind of the story of Wisecrack's creation and then its evolution over the years and why he ultimately left it. And I thought that was a, such an interesting conversation of like the struggles to make it as a independent YouTube channel and then be financially viable when you turn into like kind of a, a company and a, what a team of people you have to support and then kind of the struggle between creating art you're passionate about while managing commercial necessities and the need to support yourself financially and how that can put yourself 
in duress and put a strain on your mental health, your physical health. When you, if you try to stretch yourself too thin and you're doing a lot of work, you might not be happy with. I think Jared really goes into a lot of interesting history and anecdotes about Wisecrack, and that really I think is interesting to think about of like how independent creators or how like YouTube channels need to exist in the current landscape of YouTube, and then kind of struggles they face, and then like how you know some stay afloat and some stay successful, and how some you know kind of fall by the wayside and just kind of again the struggle of trying to create art and create content you're passionate about with like the necessities of trying to make a living and just the struggle to reconcile that and ultimately reaching the breaking point of that in jared's case so i thought that was a very fantastic very interesting conversation and that's what i'll leave you with in terms of community shout outs for this time a lot of really interesting conversations really interesting uh analytical pieces to check out and hope you do all right but uh yeah i guess that's gonna be about it for the show um before we go i guess i just want to talk a little bit about like what you guys can look forward to as far as the podcast goes uh normally i'm a little hesitant about doing that kind of stuff anymore because like our plans always change so much but i'm pretty confident that uh this is going to work out pretty well so i can i feel comfortable uh announcing the start of our kohei horikoshi month in which we're basically going to be talking about all kinds of stuff from Horikoshi. So that includes us uh, talking about his first couple of series before My Hero Academia, like Omagadoki Zoo and Barrage. And to also kind of fill out the rest of the month, uh, we are going to talk about some My Hero Academia stuff. We're hoping to talk about My Hero Academia Smash, the uh, four-panel gag manga uh, spinoff thing for My Hero Academia, as well as uh, My Hero Academia team-up missions. We're going to talk about that as well. And yeah, we're just going to have a lot of fun talking about Horikoshi's stuff in general, as well as more My Hero Academia. Uh, Just a little sneak peek for what you can expect for the Omakadoki Zoo episode, which should be the next episode coming out after this one. Um, I'm pretty confident that the final edit for the conversation specifically is going to be just, just about three hours, maybe just a little under that. We spent a lot of time talking about Omakadoki Zoo, and we had a lot of special guests on for that one, and, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to that, and, uh, yeah, um, this is something that I've been wanting to do in particular, uh, for a while, and I'm really glad that we're talking about more of Horikoshi stuff and just just some more canceled Shonen Jump manga in general because those are some of my favorite podcasts to record. And yeah, I'm I'm just really excited for you guys to listen to those. So please look forward to that over the next month of September. So yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I think it'll be a smashing success. One could say, yeah. Uh, and I guess with all that out of the way, um, yeah, that's the end of our show. And uh, Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lumriyasha on Twitter. It's Lumriyasha, variety of places like Animal Relation and Any List. Wherever there's a Lumriyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all-dashcoming.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more in there. That's also where you can find the other podcasts I do, like Mom Reds and Movies, the show where we talk about anime movies, and Hashtag Lum Squad, the show where me and my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura discuss the wonderful, wacky world of Rumiko Nakahashi's Yours Yet. So we've had a lot of fun keeping up with his releases of manga, as well as going through the movies, not that they're on Contra 
you all and having a blast revisiting those. So look forward to more of your Stratza podcasts coming out in the near future. You can find Lim Squad on any podcast platform you can think of, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like. We're also basically posting episodes of the Mong Rides feed on the Patreon early when they're out and ready. And you can also find it on its own feed on Apple Podcasts and all those uh, platforms as well. And you can follow Alum Squad on Twitter at Lum underscore squad. And if you like the art I make for my podcasts and the animations and illustrations I make in general, you can find all those on Instagram Asset Artwork. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts besides this one that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, I have a page dedicated to links with basically whatever I'm doing at the moment and other podcast projects I may have had in the past, as well as uh, as many guest spots as I can gather up. I'm, I'm, I'm always you know, trying to keep that as updated as possible. So if you're if you're interested in any other podcast I've been on or I'm doing at the moment, uh, that's the place where you could find them. Again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Just click on the podcast page and you'll you'll find a list of links. And then I guess as for this podcast, you could find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, uh, you'll have the chance to listen to select early editions of our podcast, uh, basically depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, uh, we'll just put it up on our Patreon early. Admittedly, that tier isn't as consistent with content. Because, again, it, it really depends on, like, how our schedules shake out and, like, what we have edited. So, basically, you want to sign up at the $5 tier for a more consistent string of content. Because at the $5 tier, you will basically have access to one new bonus podcast at the end of every month. As well as our backlog of, basically, whatever bonus podcast we've been recording ever since we started up the Patreon. Uh, I'm pretty sure by the time this episode is out... Uh, if it's not out already, you can expect a fun little discussion that we had with our good friend Maxi Bernard, uh, where we basically uh, went over at least some of their manga magazine thread. It's uh, basically the first part of a, I guess, podcast mini series that we're going to try to do at least every once in a while when we have time. Uh, we're going to basically go through Maxi's uh, magazine thread that they did on Twitter. And we're going to try to highlight as many magazines as possible and basically talk about, like, what's in them and talk about, uh, you know, kind of their feel and what they represent. But basically talk about as many manga magazines as we can. Um, basically, for the first podcast we did, we went over a lot of the uh, Shonen magazines. Uh, hopefully, the next time we gather up and record uh, about this with Maxi, we can uh, we could do some more Shoujo magazines. But that's for a little later down the line. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I hope we could do it again. And yeah, it was it was just a it's it's just fun to record stuff with Maxi in general. So if you like our conversations with Maxi, you'll get a real kick out of this. Uh, that's our history of manga magazines, part one. That should be up on the Patreon by the time this episode is out, unless it's coming up soon. Uh, so that's basically our newest bonus podcast. And again, we have so many different bonus podcasts that we've recorded over the past year or two that you'll also have access to when you sign up for a $5 tier. Again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, please support us on there if you're so interested. It really helps us keep the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we really just appreciate your support. It's the best way for you guys to support us. And yeah, you should just you should just go do it. Uh, but I guess as for everything else, uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks, or on Tumblr 
at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we have different excerpts of the podcast uploaded, as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mavericks. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we talked about this episode? Uh, do you want to tell us anything about like what you're reading at the moment? Or are there any series that you want us to cover on the podcast? Email us anything about manga or the podcast, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Uh, again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a lot of different platforms at this point. Uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And, you know, it, it, just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys. And we we take every piece of feedback we get and take it as seriously as possible because we want to use your feedback to make the show even better. All right. But that's going to be about it for the episode. Uh, this has been episode 171 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 172. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.